This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been gone for a while. You know, we had a good excuse, though. Christmas, New Year's, ah, but it's good to be back. And unfortunately, we are Dr. Matless once again. I think uh, he got a hold of some bad eggnog this time. I believe he has a prior engagement. He's Tomato- fix- he's tomatoes. Fixing- he's fixing tomatoes. marriages. <laughs> what he does he fixes mar- he fixes married people except he's probably speaking to some group and he's kind of important that way speaking to some group at seven in the morning well it probably starts later on kind of halfway through the show so it's kind of mm. like disrupt the show or we can just take care of it ourselves sleep in or get there at seven in the morning hey whatever you want to accuse him of go ahead <laughs> well we miss him he'll be back tomorrow don't worry but he's going to miss out on the fun of today and man, we there has been so much news since we last spoke. It's crazy. You know, just just looking at celebrity deaths alone. Right. It was man, was it an eventful couple of weeks. You know, uh I think one that made people very sad in particular was the passing of Carrie Fisher. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That, of course, is from Star Wars, probably one of her more famous roles, probably the most famous, really. Yeah. And then, if that wasn't crazy enough, you know, I think she was only in her 60s, her mother passed away the very next day. Debbie Reynolds, I think she was 84. believe so. And she is of the singing in the rain fame. She had a, a great career as well that spanned many decades Hmm. any other celebrity deaths that you that stood out to you not not really not more than those two probably those are the two big ones wow well a lot has happened in the past couple of weeks but uh you know we have to we have to uh get back to work we have to get back on track and life will go on Terry, speaking of life going on, is there anything else that's uh, going on around the rest of the country that we ought to be aware of? Right. The 115th Congress begins today with Republicans set to control the House, Senate, and presidency for the first time since 2006. Planning to start dismantling many of the Obama-era financial and environmental regulations and undo parts of Obama's signature health care reform law. President Obama is meeting with fellow Democrats on Wednesday to discuss how to prevent Obamacare from being gutted. I think is, I don't know. Like a fish. We'll see what happens. Democrats also have identified eight of Trump's cabinet nominees whom whose confirmation they could delay for weeks or even months in a break with Senate tradition. The Republicans holding a 52-48 majority and needing only 51 vote majority for confirmation. Democrats can't defeat the nominees without GOP defection. So we'll see where that goes. The House Republicans on Monday night voted behind closed doors. 119 to 74 to curb Congress's outside ethics watchdog and put it under control of the very same lawmakers it's meant to keep in check. 
The Office of Congressional Ethics, set up in 2008 to investigate allegations of misconduct against lawmakers, would be controlled by the Lawmakers' House Ethics Committee under Representative Bob Golat's uh, proposal, which Republicans voted in favor on Monday, without so much as a debate beforehand. Democrats and watchdog groups have rejected the proposal and his support from GOP with alarm. Republicans claim that they want to drain the swamp, but the night before a new Congress gets sworn in, the House GOP has eliminated the only independent ethics oversight of their actions. That's that from Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi in a statement. So they had a meeting behind closed doors. All the Republicans in the room voted. Not a lot of good happens behind closed doors, by the way. Ethics Committee is now going to be controlled by the people who are supposed to be watched by this ethics Mm. committee. So we'll see where that goes. Four people were killed Monday when severe storms hit Alabama. The National Weather Service had issued a tornado warning earlier in the day. Mississippi was also reportedly hit by tornadoes, and the National Weather Service warned that several several states in the region should brace for possible twisters. Authorities in Mississippi reported power outages for about 20,000 people, but no widespread damages during the storm. Power lines were knocked down in Texas and Louisiana leaving thousands without power. After another stellar weekend at the box office, Rogue One Star Wars Story closed out 2016 as the second highest grossing film of the year. Despite playing in theaters for only 18 days, Rogue One raked in $439 million in domestic sales. It was only uh, behind Finding Dory, Ah. another film that brought in $486 million last year. So in 18 days, it equaled a movie that came out in the middle of the summer. Wow. Yeah, and all the industries expected... 2016 to be a record year at the box office. Despite flat ticket sales, box office revenue projected a total $11.3 billion, about $160 million more than in 2015. Did you see it more than once or just the one time? I usually just see movies once. Okay. Once I see it, I've got it. I'll check it on DVD if it was that good. But you thought it was that good, right? Rogue yeah. One? Yeah. I'm going to go back and give another three hours of my life to a movie I've already seen. You're just saying that because you don't want to notice uh, with more clarity the imperfections of the CGI. No, I saw it when, in, uh, when they threw it up. Usually Peter CGI. Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher. CGI is usually pretty bad. <laughs> it, but, was, it was decent. Well, but, but at the same time, you knew that was fake. Oh, yeah. Right? And even walking into it, Cushing, I didn't even realize he was dead, but I yeah. saw his face and was like, wow, that looks like exactly the same character from Star Wars. So that's you, a little odd since that movie's, you know, 1977. Right. And, and yet <laughs> Carrie Fisher, who was not dead when that movie right. was out for the first couple of weeks anyway. There was some question on whether they actually got her permission to use her face in that movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But then my thought is, how would they not have your permission, your, your Princess Leia? Right. So, I don't know. Seems, well, they, they couldn't use her as is because no. she'd look decades older. Right. Hmm. But you, I, I think there still has to be some sort of agreement to use you as in a movie in that way. She probably signed all her rights away when she did the original. That, that would be my assumption. <laughs> I mean, that's usually how these things work. So, speaking of Rogue One, um, in Oregon... Uh, what did it say? Sheriff's deputies in suburban Portland said a man woke up, woke to an empty theater last week after falling asleep during the movie. He was watching Rogue One and he fell asleep. When he tried to leave, he triggered a motion sensor alarm in the lobby. He called 911 for help and the deputies helped him get out through an emergency exit. Um, so, you know, no crime or anything, but he just passed out and no one caught that he was in there asleep and they shut the place down and everybody went home. You know what that means, don't you? The employees at this movie theater do not clean. 
after the movies. Yeah, you'd think you'd find some guy just <laughs> sleeping. They must have had those those reclining chairs that are kind of yeah becoming popular. Those. I don't know about those. They're all pleather and they're delightful. You, uh, sometimes you get you sit next to a kid who wants to play with the seat. You're like, stop it. <laughs> Well, at least you don't have somebody kicking the back of your seat anymore. There's no, not as much of that. No. It does raise the ticket prices a little bit. A little bit. Because they're eliminating seats in the in the uh, the theater to give you a bigger seat. Right. So, like, for your one seat, it's almost two, maybe two and a half, or, you know, two and a half seats. And so they have to make adjustments that way. So whenever a movie's sold out, we can blame the brand new pleather reclining yeah. seats, as you said. Pleather. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, go see it again. It was that good. I sat there the whole time thinking, do I like this better than The Force Awakens? Mm. I just may. I just watched the movie. Oh. Okay. So you didn't, there wasn't that thought process. No, I wanted to see what the movie was. Think about that later. All right. You get distracted. You're going, oh, that's not as good as this. Then you miss the movie. Yeah. And then I also kept thinking, oh, I need to go back and watch. Episode four and episode three. But then I remembered that episode three wasn't all that good. So. Just watch the last. Well, you don't even need to watch the last. I mean, Vader's on a lava planet, shows up in Rogue One on a lava planet. You're good. He gets burned. That's what I remember. Yeah, that's all you need. Anyway. You get it. He turns bad. So you mentioned, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, they're meeting, uh, they're going to be talking about Obamacare whether yes. or not that's going to be repealed. Now, that's not going to be something that they can just get rid of right away. It's not that easy. They might. Is it? They can. Really? Yeah. Hmm. You have to have the House and the Senate, and they can repeal anything. But there's kind of a, there's a weeding out process. There are things to be considered. Not when all these politicians are like, on day one, we're going to, you know. But, man, their day one plate is going to be huge. Yeah, it'll be a long day one. Taking Hillary to prison. Are there, that's, no. not a, that's not a focus anymore. Trump, Trump has said uh, they're not going to do that. He goes, that was fun during the campaign, but <laughs> not really a focus of attention that whole right That whole wall building thing. No, I was, the wall's happening. Okay. I've got, day we'll, one? We'll, no, not day one. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. We, got okay. some, we actually have some numbers of what a, a wall – they're talking a wall across the border with Mexico and Canada. So and we have price tags for both. You know, we first saw this. We had a we had a sponsor. It was right. called the Maple Wall, right? The Maple Wall, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, so maybe we'll play that during the break. Things, I don't know if there's an actual plan, but they have been discussed with certain departments as they're trying to figure out how much you know. They're trying to get their pricing down. And this is Canada not wanting us to come into their country, or no, this, is it Trump trying to keep us from leaving? I don't know what the motivation is, but it's it's the U.S. building a wall okay. across Canada. Because, you know, Canadians. I guess they could sneak in, too. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so that that is a concern. But, yeah, it is kind of interesting that they hold a meeting and they uh, they vote that we're going to take the ethics arm of, of Congress, the thing that, that they're supposed to investigate any wrongdoings about Congress, and they take that and put it under the purview of Congress. So it's not independent anymore. Hmm. And just on the surface, you're like, well, what are we doing? And they've, I was looking at some numbers. Apparently, they've done like, it's uh, like, what? Last year, they did like 11 investigations or something. So it's not like they're egregious. Right. But they're trying to, 
I guess, gain control of it. We'll have to see as things come out more. Because they did it last night, and of course people are still a holiday. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. Is Congress worked on a holiday. Oh what was goodness. that? You know, I got a package delivered yesterday. How was that? Did it was you, amazing. Did you feel the holiday spirit an extra day? It restored my faith in the United States. Was it a gift? Postal service. Was it a gift? Um, it was a gift for me to my wife, actually. Oh, there you go. I fell uh, victim to an Amazon scammer. Mm. So I bought something that was priced about half of what everybody else was selling it for. Right. And I thought, well, if it's a scam, then I, I know I'm going to get my money back because it's Amazon. Right. So it works. And uh, it never showed up. Mm. So I had to buy it again. And it was late. Didn't get there in time for Christmas. Well, it's the thought that matters. Says the person who totally messed up the whole gift-giving process. I knew it was a scam, and I did it anyway to save a few bucks, and then I didn't save the few bucks. Anyway, um, so Trump is going to be sworn in January... 20th, 20th. I believe, yeah. Is that right, Sean? 20th. It's nodding his head. My goodness. And on the 10th, President Obama will have his farewell speech. He's going to do it about... It'll be in the prime time, so like eight, nine o'clock ish, depending on where you live, for about a half hour. Mm. And just kind of say, thanks. Here's the things I think I accomplished. Looking towards the future, kind of the same thing. When George, when George W. Bush did a similar thing, all the networks stopped and gave him his 30 minutes or whatever. And then the next day will be the first alleged press conference for Donald Trump. Wow. Oh. At least I wonder that's if, what they're saying now. That could change. It I wonder if Obama's before. going to uh, plead with with everyone to not repeal Obamacare. Well, I mean, there's parts of it they've already <laughs> said they're going to keep. Yeah. Because there's only so much you can do. And many of the aspects they like of Obamacare actually came out of ideas that were used in Mitt Romney's version of healthcare used in Massachusetts, which were Republican ideas that were put forth you know, like a decade earlier when they were trying to do something similar. So it's going to be more like a buffet repealing process. Like, oh, oh let's leave the, the let's leave the fruit there and the we'll grab some extra out, bacon. The plan that's out is a repeal and like a two-year moratorium where it's still there, but it's two years to wind it down. And during those two years, they'll look at the Democrats and say, hey, what do you want to do? If this goes away, it's your fault. <laughs> that's kind of how politics works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Democrats would be like, well, we want that. that. Just leave it alone. Like, no, no, that's not the option. So you need to fix it. So what do you guys want? Mm. And so it'll be this politics fight thing again. I love it getting blamed for things that I probably shouldn't be blamed for. It's an amazing aspect of our political system. And uh, being a husband and you know, father, well, too. That too. That too. Yeah. Glad you said it on me. <laughs> getting blamed for things that... Uh, Aren't always our fault. Anyway, we've got a very interesting guest coming up uh, on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to be speaking with uh, Kendra Smith, who's going to be talking to us more about smart cities and how that might be a benefit to, to some people, but maybe not to other people. Very interesting. We'll get to that when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, Dr. Mattless today, but that's okay. This is Jeff Simpson covering for him. We'll be right back. (music) 
Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson covering for Dr. Matt, who's away speaking to a group of people, or I don't know, maybe he just wanted to sleep in one extra time. Anyway, uh, today the most populous cities in the world are Tokyo, Delhi, Shanghai, or if you live in Shanghai, you probably call it Shanghai, and Mexico City, with no signs of slowing growth. The global economy is pushing more people out of rural areas and into cities where families move to for better education and job opportunities. According to the UN, 66% of the world's populations will live in an urban area by 2050. What type of infrastructure will these cities need to have? Who will make these decisions? How much will it cost? Here to speak to us today is Ph.D. Kendra L. Smith, a policy analyst at Arizona State University. And uh, we're grateful to have Kendra on the program this morning. Kendra, thank you so much for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Happy New Year, by the way. Did you have a good uh, Christmas and New Year's? I had a fantastic Christmas in the year. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. So now when you talk about a smart city, obviously we're not talking about intellectually smarter, right? What do, what do you mean by a smart city? Well, a smart, smart city, the term is sort of a catch-all term that is really about a vision for future cities. Okay, and it's a vision where information and communication technology, such as um, data and electronic sensors, are worked into a city's infrastructure to enhance quality of life, performance, reduce cost, and um, lower resource consumption, and improve uh, just overall how a government functions and interacts with its citizens. Okay, so talk talk to us more about you. You touched upon it briefly just there, but talk to us about some of the benefits of having a smart city and what goes into more of what goes into having a smart city. Sure. Well, the benefits of smart city we really haven't realized them yet, uh, but the benefits of smart city is ideally having them really connect to the infrastructure and connect to citizens in a way that's helpful. So, for instance. Um, if you have um, if you have electronic sensors that, for instance, test air quality in huge cities such uh, such as ones in China, such as Beijing, and then other cities in Japan, there's huge smog issues. I mean, there's huge smog issues everywhere. But um, especially in those cities, in having things like electronic sensors and in um, having that data processed. Um, in real time to allow citizens to know what air quality is like, um, how much time to spend outside, um, how to plan their week um, in regards to air quality. Like those things are important because you can lose a lot of productivity, especially in those large cities who have those small problems because people take off of work, people have health problems. Um, Children certainly shouldn't be out in that. And so it brings about really big issues when you can't control that. And so what things like Smart City does is it helps improve upon um, these things that are hard for us to control right now. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned Beijing, and uh, you, you talked a little bit about the air purifier that they're, that they're working on. Do you have other examples of other cities that are going smart and what, uh, what benefits they're experiencing? 
Sure. So I think one of our domestic examples is probably Chicago, the Array of Things um, project and where the city has, um, they've posted a number of electronic sensors around the city to test things like um, like air quality and, and water levels to prevent flooding and to lower um, emissions and things of that nature. So basically it's just boxes around the city that take in how much uh, that take in the air quality that take in things like noise levels um, to help with traffic um, and things of that nature to help in other places internationally um, I believe in Glasgow they implemented a huge urban transportation system where they have sensors in their buses sensors um, in the street to understand traffic flows and to enhance traffic flows. So once you understand, say for instance, where your buses are, where you have the most traffic, then you can improve upon how traffic flows. And that's what Smart Cities is all about. It's about understanding what's happening um, in real time and improving upon what's happening in real time. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, talking about smart cities and traffic. I was just talking to my wife the other day about how when I was a kid, I just imagined that uh, there were people under the ground that were manually changing the traffic light, which allowed me to go, you know, <laughs> you know, as a kid, that's that's just what you picture it being. But uh, that's not what you're talking about. Um, so now, obviously... This is a big decision for a city to to go smart, and it's you know there's a lot that goes into it with finances and, and that sort of thing. But who is the one that's who's making these decisions for a city to become a smart city? Well, this is the really interesting part about this. So, smart cities, you would think, uh, is they're huge investments. Okay, anytime where you're talking about combining. Um, technology into the infrastructure, um, you're talking about a lot of money going to this. And so a lot of times, these are decisions made by city leadership. So a mayor um, who works with their city council, who also works with the business community. So smart cities will emerge as huge partnerships for cities and businesses because, of course, cities can't afford to do all of this on their own. So this is really a decision that is made by kind of the higher-ups in the city. And what I'm talking about um, in my article is about making sure that those who are planning the the big cities, or excuse me, the smart cities, and who are making these decisions, um, that they make smart and equitable decisions for all involved. Mm. Yeah, and I just thought of something, you know, because obviously there there is uh, such a job as a city planner. Is there such a job as a smart city planner, or does that just fall under the the job of city planner? Well, it falls. It's funny you ask. Um, so I, I actually just uh, had a report published by the American Planning Association on planning and big data and smart cities, and so it really falls under the title of city planner or urban planner, and um, they are the people that are tasked to develop these things. So not only are urban planners doing the regular things that they do on a day-to-day basis, but they're also working to find out how to infuse technology into our urban systems to make them smarter. 
Yeah. Okay. So tell us, uh, Kendra, tell us about how a smart city is planned. How do you go about doing that and what's, what's a part of that process? Well, this is the interesting aspect of smart cities, Jeff, because we talk about them as if they're already here. And they're really not. So a full smart city, we have not really seen. So what we have seen are cities that have infused elements of smart city, smart city principles into their cities, such as the Chicago Array of Things project. That is an example of... Um, of a smart city um, utility, but it's not, it doesn't make Chicago a smart city. Right. And, and so what cities have is a lot of planning to do, and they have a lot of partnering to do to even generate enough money and to generate enough interest in developing smart cities. So now when you, that's, that's a really good point too. Um, when you go about starting to implement some of these smart aspects of a smart city, like you were saying, do you do you start from the ground up, or do you do you go from an existing uh, established infrastructure? How does that how does that work? Well, for any city, um, they would have to build within the established infrastructure. So, say for instance, I'm in Phoenix. Phoenix can't build a totally new. Um, travel infrastructure because they would want to start a smart city. They would have to work with what's already been established and improving upon that. I think it's really interesting because have you heard about uh, the, the new thing about autonomous vehicles, driverless cars? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so this is something huge for, for cities to take into consideration, not just for the normal things that you would be concerned with, such as safety and and insurance and things like that. But how are these cars going to interact with the infrastructure? They have to interact with the infrastructure to, to really function at their total capacity. And so each city, because every city is unique, will have to develop their own way of managing this and their own way of infusing technology into their current infrastructure, um, just given what they have already. You know, not that you meant to do this, but you kind of put a scary thought in my head with the driverless cars because we're here in Utah and uh, we had a hard enough time getting into work with all the snow on the roads this morning. And I can't even imagine what it would be. I can't, I would be so terrified to get to work in the snow with a driverless car. That, that just scares me. Oh, anyway, hopefully the weather's good where <laughs> you you're at. They're supposed to be, they're, they're supposed to cut down on the human error, um, which is kind of the crux of the smart city push is to cut down on human error and make things um, very streamlined. And that's the thought that about a lot of people in a lot of city, city leaders um, like, and they're looking forward to. So Uber just uh, announced that they're releasing uh, driverless cars in Phoenix. Right. And our yeah. Governor, yeah. And our governor is happy and welcoming them with open arms because it is a sign of the future and it is a sign of where we are headed. So, yeah, this is very realistic. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you talked about how a lot of these cities will, they have aspects of a smart city, but there really is no city that could be considered a smart city. How far out do you think we are from having 
a, a city that could be considered a smart, a fully functional smart city? I I think, in my opinion, probably in between about seventeen to twenty five years, we will see um, a, a full grown smart city. That's not that's not too far down the road. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe three years ago, I probably would have said thirty years ago, thirty <laughs> years from now. But the way that the, the speed at which things are moving are astounding, and our technology leaders. They are just they they are making strides in really impressive ways, and I think what will really depend on how smart cities take hold is city leaders and how they decide to undertake technology or if they decide at all. Yeah, uh, Kendra. Earlier, you mentioned um, you talked a little bit about. Uh, developing these smart cities equitably. Now, what is what would you say is the value of smart cities being developed equitably? Sure. So when you think about what happens in cities, you you kind of think that you kind of think about probably where you live and that, you know, there's a good side of the city or a bad side or there's a poor side of the city or, or wealthy side of the city. There's a not so good side or a bad side. Whatever you might think of, um, there are disparities in cities. There are disparities in our country um, that happen along the lines of health, income, so on and so forth. Technology can either reinforce that, they can aggravate that, or they can alleviate some of those challenges. And it depends on how the technology is infused into our cities and for what purposes, and who has access to them. So by saying we have a smart city, by now we understand that there are elements of smart city technology infused in cities, but no city is fully smart. So where that smart city technology is infused matters. And if that's equitable, so if we're only infusing smart city technologies in, say, for instance, wealthier parts of neighborhoods, are we being equitable? Hmm. Are cities being thoughtful about um, about their citizens? Um, these are all questions that really need to be taken into consideration when we're thinking about um, how we infuse technology into our cities and in our day to day processes. Very interesting, uh, Kendra. Let's let's do this. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, let's uh, continue this discussion of smart cities, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, what other cities around the world are considered smart or are implementing some of these smart city uh, practices when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away, but he'll be back tomorrow. Don't worry. We've uh, been having an interesting conversation with Ph.D. Kendra Smith 
who is a policy analyst at the Morrison Institute for Public Policy at Arizona State University. She also conducts research in the area of public policy, community development, and local government and science and technology. And her work has been featured in several outlets, including the Stanford Social Innovation Review, Planning Magazine, and FCW. And we are delighted to have her back here on the program. Kendra, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about infrastructure and, you know, one question that I posed to you, is this something that that we do from the ground up or, or do we do we go from an already existing infrastructure? Um, I, I'm just curious, you know, we you've given several examples of, of cities that are implementing some of these smart practices. Um, are there any cities out there, even though you mentioned that uh, there's really no city that can be considered a fully-fledged smart city, what cities would you consider to be the smartest cities? Sure, I think... Barcelona would be um, at probably the top of their list. So interestingly about Barcelona, they've really taken an equitable approach to developing smart cities. One of the first things that they did um, in their smart cities plan of probably probably between 20 to 25 projects was um, place fiber optic cable or fiber active cable across the city. So something like 90% of the city now has access to internet. Hmm. And that's big. That's really, that's really important when you're thinking about um, making the quality of life better for people. And one thing um, to do is closing that digital divide and giving access. Um, other cities um, in, well, it's not a city, but the country in India, um, the, Prime Minister of India has pledged to do um, to make a hundred city smart cities in the country to help deal with many of the challenges that um, India has. As you know, India is one of the most populous countries, uh, absolutely, in, in the world. And so, when they deal with serious transportation issues, water issues, infrastructure issues, sanitation issues, and smart cities. Um, in their prime minister's mind, is an opportunity to help enhance uh, what they do and make things a lot safer for their citizens and deal with that population growth. Um, cities in China, Shanghai, Beijing, they all uh, they are moving towards um, becoming smart cities quickly. So, you know, we talked earlier about some of the benefits of having a smart city or having some of these smart practices in place. Now, what are some of the drawbacks maybe of having a smart city or what are some of the speed bumps that have been experienced by some of these cities that have tried to move in that direction? Sure. Well, there are a number. The first that comes to my mind is sort of what you touched on earlier, is about developing within existing infrastructure. So we're not creating smart cities in a vacuum. We're not creating brand new cities. And so the the challenges that you find in cities normally are the challenges that you'll have when you're trying to develop smart cities. And, um, and so it takes somebody who really has a thought on all of the citizens and 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 how all of the development will will work for everyone to think these things through and if they do not think things 
think these things through that you run into challenges. I know in India, they have issues with while they're trying to develop smart cities, moving people from out of their their homes, people whose families have owned a certain segment of land for a hundred years and have passed it down, they're now losing that land. Uh, things like this are very realistic challenges of smart cities. Also, um, people can, or city leaders can develop smart cities not for really the citizens, but because it's a good business opportunity. So cities by themselves, of course, cannot afford to implement all of these um, all of these technologies, but they can partner with business, and it becomes a really cool selling point of cities that, hey, we're becoming smart, come move here, or, hey, we're, be- we're becoming a smart city, come invest here. So it, it, there are a number of challenges that come along with smart cities. Right. And, you know, in, in the first segment of our interview, you talked about uh, the air purifier that Beijing is testing out. And obviously that is going to have an impact on the environment. Any any other examples of of smart cities that are affecting the environment? Sure. Um, so I want to say, um, there's so many that float in my head. I want to say in Copenhagen, they are a very large smart city. And so they have a number of programs that, for one, that does actually monitor air quality, but it but they also implement very um, interesting types of um, types of programs, such as more bike programs to lower um, emissions and to keep people out of cars and out of and off of the road. So it's not just one thing that they're doing to um, to enhance the quality of life, but to also reduce consumption. It's a number of things that are all working together. Um, I know in in London, they have a huge congestion problem, okay? They have huge congestion problems, and they have huge emissions problems. And so they implemented a smart city project kind of in their city core that um, was basically, that's basically like an invisible electronic toll system that... um, your car has a monitor or they have a monitor in the area. And if you come through that area, you're charged for being in that for driving in that congestion area. And so what it does is it's an incentive for people to not come through that area, especially during peak hours um, to prevent that congestion and to prevent those emissions from happening. And it's actually worked and they've lowered emissions in their congestion jolt congestion zone uh, substantially. Wow. Wow. So you talked a little bit about how this can have an impact on people, you know, that that maybe own land that, uh, you know, this land might not be available to them anymore. What about, talk to us about what are options that a smart, that a smart city might have to combat homelessness and poverty? You know, Jeff, interestingly, I have seen, I have yet to see anything about smart cities combating homelessness. That's not to say it doesn't exist, but in my extensive research of smart cities, I've seen anything about the issue. That's really, <laughs> and actually, I never thought about it myself. Well, yeah, it's something, something to think about, I guess, going forward. Um, how is this going to affect government? 
because obviously we're, we've got a new president that's being sworn in this month. How is this going to affect our government and our country overall? Well, it has an opportunity to affect the government in really, really cool ways. And on the flip side, it does not have the opportunity to impact the government in really cool ways. So ideally, smart cities should really streamline government processes and make things a lot quicker and reduce costs. Uh, and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, it just kind of depends on what they're implementing. For instance, the Depart- the U.S. Department of Transportation last year, they ended their competition on smart transportation. And Columbus, Ohio uh, won the award for, um, won a huge award for, um, in order for them to develop smart transportation systems. So once this system is developed, so by a smart transportation system, everything that you can think of about transportation is connected. So the streets are connected to um, the, to the busing systems, and the busing systems are connected to um, all the other city infrastructure to create a very streamlined process. So to where citizens can get to and from. Um, to, to and from where they need to go quickly, efficiently, and at lower cost, okay, to eventually save the city money. So these benefits will not be realized until years down the road. It's kind of like opening up a business. You don't really, you know, get your money back right. until a few years later. And so we really don't know the benefits, but I think what city city leaders are planning on and what planners are planning on is that, if the technology works as it's supposed to, then they will reap the benefits um, down the line. Okay. You know, and speaking of benefits, you know, we talked about how this could uh, could help boost economy. We, can, we talked about how this can help improve the environment. Who stands to benefit the most from smart cities? Yikes. That's an interesting question. So I think it all goes back to to how how the cities are developed and with and, and with whom uh, and for whom they're developed. Okay, so you just asked a really interesting question about smart cities um, alleviating the challenge of homelessness. So if homelessness is not in the mind of city leaders as something to develop, um, then it probably won't impact that community. So it takes very deliberate thought to impact certain segments of the community in really meaningful ways. And so um, who's the standard benefit? I think government will benefit. I think it will eventually save government money um, in really cool and interesting ways. But I'm not sure on what segments of the population will benefit. Yeah. Well, Kendra, we we really appreciate you coming on the show this morning. It's such an interesting topic, and you know, it, it seems like there are so many benefits of of having a smart city. And uh, yeah, this morning I can't think of a self driving car as being one of those benefits, but uh, I know for a lot of people that would uh, that would really help out. Thank you so much for being on the program. We've been speaking with PhD uh, Kendra Smith who is a policy analyst at the Morrison Institute for Public Policy at Arizona State University. And she's been talking to us about the benefits of smart cities. We're not there yet. We're getting there. And and 
in her opinion, according, you know, maybe in about uh, 15 to 20 years we could be there. But there are cities that are taking strides in that direction to, uh, to have a smarter city, to improve the environment, to improve economy. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be having some more fun and talking about some more interesting topics, including some more celebrity deaths. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. Joined here with Terry South and Sean O'Neill. And, uh, yeah, we almost didn't make it here this morning. Terry? I made it. It was fine. You just slow down. Lots of snow. Live in the mountains. Well, what I, I meant... Up, I woke up a, big, a little late. Not a big surprise. Time. We made it here okay. What I meant to say is we almost didn't make it out of our cars well, and into yeah. the building. Well, that is true. <laughs> The, I, don't, uh, I don't think I've seen that much snow in quite a while around here. Yeah. Oh. It, it was it was almost a foot in the, in the parking lot. Well, that, oh, yeah. And then there was, when I pulled in, there was someone plowing, and he just barely started. So he was making some nice big piles, and I was supposed to park my car at some point, and mm-hmm. there was no place to park. So I just <laughs> – I parked next to your car, Jeff. Okay. I figured that was safe, safe in, safety right. in numbers instead yeah. of just a lone car in the parking lot. So. <laughs> Although when I got here, it was very funny because he had done a lot more plowing, and the, the only snow in the in the, basically in the parking lot was the snow around your cars. Yes, mm-hmm. he kind of smiled at me as I was standing there as he drove by, like I'm going to bury you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so since I couldn't see the lines, I just drove until my car couldn't drive anymore. Right, and then I was like, "Oh, that's where I'm parking." That's usually when you're out of gas. <laughs> or, or Not you're, today. You're stuck. And you're no. <laughs> There's that yeah. too. Yeah. No, I saw cars on the freeway spinning out. I love the four wheel drive trucks that are trying to yeah. go super fast oh, and they spin mm. out. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> look at him. It, it's it's a little humorous when you you know, except when you're you know you you get on the off ramp, and the next thing you know, there's headlights pointing at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and little, you realize it's not a, it's not a sign or something. This is a car. <laughs> so we just spoke to Kendra Smith, right. uh, who's at Arizona State University, and she talked to us about smart cities. Mm. What is an aspect of a smart city that you would be interested in seeing or that you would be excited for? Around where we live on Austin, Texas, I think Kansas City, gigabit internet connection. Yeah, that'd be Mm. nice. I think it's nice. It's not necessary because it's really fast, but it'd be be nice. And there's uh, the people I get my internet from, they, they advertise they have gigabit connection. When you call them, they go, oh, we don't have it in your area. Right, because yeah. they've laid the fiber uh, optic cables necessary in certain neighborhoods where they feel those people will more of those people will purchase it. Sure. Whereas they don't think people that live in my neighborhood at a mass, you know, mass numbers of people would actually purchase it. This is like watching the weather on national TV. Yes, <laughs> where do the people where right. do the people on national TV report the weather on New York exactly and the East Coast and Florida is going to get a hurricane east but, of the Mississippi yeah. River and then if California has some rain maybe right if there's a huge rainstorm that just bottlenecks the Intermountain West or Colorado or anywhere in the West they mm-hmm. don't talk about it until it hits Colorado so you'll hear about a storm hitting Colorado tomorrow right causes huge problems you'll see all sorts of video cars crashing and stuff. So, 
That was in Utah the day before. Right. And that's every single every single mm-hmm. time that's the way it works. But that's due to population. It's all population. Mm-hmm. So when she was talking about equitable smart and, and equitable policies in smart cities, she's talking about access like this where if you want that connection, you can't get it because of where you live. Right. And it sh- and she's saying is that something that might should be available to everyone? I you know, she's asking the question because it also comes down to money and who can actually build that? And out. speaking of and money, what cities can. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to spend some money to educate people on what is a what is a gigabit. It's 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 a lot. It's well, quite I mean, you've got you've got cities like Detroit right now. Can Detroit afford to become a smart city right now? They've got other things they've got to deal right. with. It's yeah. a good point. Other issues. Yeah. Anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have some more fun and uh, again couple more celebrity deaths not since we've spoken this past hour i hope nobody else has passed away but anyway we'll mention some of those who passed away while we were away for the christmas and new year's break we'll be right back this is the matt townsend show Good morning. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Sean, I'm waiting for you to start dancing. <laughs> You're going to be waiting a while. <laughs> well, it is... <laughs> My wife's been waiting a heck of a long time, so I don't know what you're thinking. It is Tuesday, January 3rd. We are finally back from break. We took a little break there, but it was a much-needed break. We opened gifts... We stayed up till midnight, sipping sparkling cider and watching a ball drop without Dick Clark, unfortunately. Yeah, I stopped, it's, wa- it's, I stopped watching a, all that it's stuff. It's been a few years. Well, and, and without Mariah Carey, frankly. Yeah, she wasn't there either. <sighs> I got to see that live. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I would have rather have seen Dick Clark than Ryan Seacrest. But, you know. That's yeah. okay. Well, that's been a few life, years that Dick Clark hasn't been there. Yeah. I know, but it's still sore. It's still sore. It's probably on YouTube if you really want to watch it. Yeah, no kidding. And you know, what? His death? No, or, you can oh. watch one of the old rockin' <laughs> yes. whatever Eves. That okay. You're, All yeah. right. But you know what? Dick Clark was on the show. His name? No, no, no. Not just his name. I saw a clip from American Bandstand. Ooh. Dick Clark interviewing George Michael. Oh, George Michael. Talk about sore subjects. George Michael was one of the celebrities that passed away in the past week or two. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Did he do All Tumble For You? No, that, that was Culture Club. Culture Club. He was in Wham! Yes. Last Christmas, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. And uh, speaking of singers that passed oh, the other big note for George Michael. Yes. He was the first to ever be in the carpool karaoke. Really? Yes, he was. It was back in England when Marsden did it back when he had a show in England. It was I, I saw a clip of it on YouTube actually. Mm, there you go. It's actually pretty it was it was actually pretty funny. Could he still sing at that point? Oh yeah, he he could still sing he was still wow. singing recently. <sighs> And right? also, we're, well, this is all hitting you rather hard. The next, did you the know next the, person. Did you know these people personally? Is that what was happening? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, lo- I love 
you, you, you start watching like social media, Facebook, I kind of, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's so bad." This person, I'm like, "That's great." Did you know them? Did you personally? We feel, you enjoyed their music. You watched their movies. We That's feel great. like we knew them because well, we no, loved you their didn't music. Know them so at all. I want to know why people are so surprised that people are dying. Well, that too. I know. It's a common thing. Well, are, are, are there not going to be deaths in 2017? Hopefully not. Hopefully no, that's not. behind us. President okay. Trump is taking care of that. He's going to fix it. That's day one. It's no the, more deaths it's in one 2017. Of the, the new aspects of Trump care. Okay. No yeah. death. He's Everything. not in office yet, so we still have 20 days. Yeah. He's going to fix it. Uh, Andy Williams. I didn't know that until this morning. Oh. Andy Williams passed away. What? Don't do, don't do this. I'm not going to say... Uh, uh, this is also the song that Chevy Chase sings in Fletch when he goes to the doctor. I'm not going to say what kind of doctor. But, uh, yes. Oh, Andy Isn't this Williams. from Breakfast at Tiffany's? I believe so, yes. Okay. Oh, what a smooth, soothing voice he had. See, but he lives on That's through true. his music. Carrie Fisher will live on through Star Wars and CGI. I guess they could do that in Episode Nine with her. Just bring back more CGI. Well, she's already look, had her. I, how, about, how about we wait for episode eight first yeah. and see what happens? But she did finish episode eight. She's already finished yes. the okay. filming, so that's all set. And then well, they can just sort of write her out. Just like what? they did on what Fast and the Furious. Put would, her in a white spaceship exactly, and have her just sort yes. of go off into the cosmos. <laughs> We're over. Moving on. <laughs> all right. I, I could see them doing something like yeah, that. Yeah. I would not be surprised if that character, you know, passes or, or, on. Or into, have her... You know, do some sort of death scene as she shows up as a hologram like the rest of the Jedi. Just do it that way. Yeah, okay. She's hanging with Yoda. Let's uh, turn some time (laughs) over to Mr. Sensitivity over here to talk to us about what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry, what's up? A Delaware man was the only American injured in the New Year's Eve attack at a Turkish nightclub in Istanbul. And he's described this to NBC News that he survived by staying still and silent even after being hit by a bullet. William Jacob Rack, 35, was visiting Istanbul to celebrate his birthday, when he sh- and he says, when he shot me, I didn't move. I just let him shoot me, he told NBC News. The bullet struck him in the hip tra- and traveled to his knee. The attack lasted less than 10 minutes, left 39 people dead and around 60 others wounded. ISIS has taken responsibility for the attack. He survived by playing dead. They take responsibility for pretty much any... Yes and no. There's times where they're like they're waiting for it that never happens. Other times they jump in real fast. Mm. So you're really kind of, are they just being opportunist or sure. did they actually plan it? I'm not sure. Less than half of the Americans who participated in a new poll are confident the president-elect Donald Trump can handle several of the job's duties once he takes uh, office later this month. Solid majorities, however, were confident in President Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton when they assumed the executive post. The Gallup poll, conducted December 7th through December 11th, so pre-Christmas, showed that only 46% of respondents are confident that Trump 
will be able to handle an international crisis. Only 47% believe that he will wisely use military force. By contrast, 60% of those polled believe Trump will be effectively able to work with Congress. 59% said the total respondents believe he will handle the the economy effectively. 47% for military, that that's higher than I thought it would be. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting. And, and it, it's uh, the numbers that they break down Republican, Democrat are interesting too. It's not necessarily one group's more heavy than the other when it comes to lack of confidence or confidence either way. It's kind of interesting how it's split. You've got to have confidence. He knows more than the generals. That's what he says. <laughs> President-elect Donald Trump won't reveal anything that was privileged or was shared with him during classified briefings when he makes his promised comments on Russian hacking this week. Incoming White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer told CNN, despite Trump's claims on New Year's Eve, on uh, that he he'd reveal on Tuesday or Wednesday the things that he knows that other people quote don't know because he knows a lot of a lot about hacking he says Spicer says it's not a question of necessarily revealing he's going to talk about his conclusions and whether he thinks where things stand at the moment making sure people understand there's a lot of questions out there in regards to Russian involvement in the cyber attacks ahead of the U.S. presidential election he did say I know a lot about hacking. My he did? He goes, yeah, he said this at his uh, – he had a New Year's Eve party and uh, the media was there and he spoke with them for a moment. And he said, I know a lot about hacking. We're not sure what's happening. It's a complicated thing. You know, and then he's going to say, we'll find out more on Tuesday or Wednesday and kind of left it at that. I saw that movie Hackers. Hackers. So I know everything yeah. I He also said know. his 12-year-old is really good at computers, can do wonderful, amazing things on computers. So this is a complicated thing. Well, maybe he's maybe maybe he knows Snowden personally. I don't know. We'll see. And finally, a Canadian village an hour north of Montreal could be yours for the cool asking price of two million dollars. Only two million. But there is one caveat. Oh, there's 45 buildings spread out across the property, 140 acres in total, and it's pretty much just for show with only one house in livable condition. Oh, mm. so it's dilapidated. The, uh, it says because decades the village has been used for some, something of a tourist trap, successfully designed to feel like a 19th century pioneer settlement that used uh, to attract 30,000 visitors a year, reports the CBC. The owner says they'd like to find a buyer who will re- maintain the village, which features a saloon, church, general store, mill, and cemetery, in addition to nearly two dozen homes that you can only live in one of them, apparently. So no insulation? Nope. Uh, what about so, what, they wait plumbing? for the summer and then put people in it to look like it's a place? I don't know. They said it just sort of looks that way, and you kind of walk in and go, "Wait a second!" This, they're like they're like fronts of buildings. It looks like it's supposed to be a ghost town. Then I guess. So Do we two, have to use an outhouse? Uh, I really doubt there's plumbing. So two million dollars, but you got to build your own house. Wow. Mm. Excuse me, Mr. Trump. <laughs> Let's add this. Uh, yeah. Add this to the list of problems. That, oh, I, no, we got it. I got it. Trump huh? needs to invest in this. He could. You call it Trumpville. 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 Could you imagine Trump as a pioneer? And then we get all the cuts from It's a Wonderful Life and you see Pottersville. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know, Terry, I, I asked you briefly, like yeah. in the 20 seconds before uh-huh. the show started, but okay. did you have a good Christmas? I did. It was great. Yeah? Yeah. Lots of downtime. Absolutely. In Lots fact, of eggnog. I even worked three days last week, and it still felt like I wasn't really yeah. working because there you, was you worked. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I got quite a bit done. You came here, but did you yeah. actually? I was work? at my desk. I put on my headphones. No one talked to me for five and a half hours. It was awesome. Hey, I love it. Wow. I wish nobody would have. Yeah, no, no. So <laughs> here's a question for both of you. But what is the longest Christmas day you've ever had? 
Does that make sense? Well, usually Christmas Day is pretty short because it comes right after the winter solstice. Mine goes pretty fast because we're just moving from house to house to house, and there's events all day, and by the end of the day, you're like, where did Christmas go? Okay, so so you're talking about it seems long or it seems short. Like actual hours? Yes. Mm. A British man has broken the record for the world's longest Christmas day after spending nearly two days flying in different planes and countries to have a 47-hour December 25th. 47 hours. Isn't his name Santa Claus? (laughs) <laughs> no, his – oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about him. It looks like his name is Fraser Watt. He's uh, – Code name. He, <laughs> he started his race against Santa at midnight on Christmas Eve from Auckland to New Zealand. He passed through Hong Kong, London, and Los Angeles before eventually arriving in Honolulu in Hawaii at 11.38 local time. In doing so, he also broke the record for the furthest – furthest distance traveled on commercial airlines in a single day and the record for the furthest distance traveled in any 24-hour period. The incredible journey saw him travel almost 20,000 miles and stretched his Christmas day to a whopping 47 hours. Sitting on an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm sorry. That's, that's not the way to spend Christmas. And he was able to get through most of Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's not quite enough time to get through Breaking Bad. I wonder if you could get through the whole mesh. Probably not. Oh, my goodness. They're only half hours. Oh, 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 you're right. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I forgot about that, yeah. Did you do any binge watching over the Christmas? No. Mm -mm. No? Last year, the the show uh, How to Make a Murderer came out Mm -hmm. about a a murder trial in Minnesota and Mm -hmm. Wisconsin and some of the police things that were going. And it was about... Eight, it actually was about twelve episodes. My wife and I just flew right through that. Mm. Where and there's just nothing this year that really caught our attention. So. Mm. I mostly just uh, binge eight. Oh, food. Yes. <laughs> anyway, you know, I don't think it, I. The reason that this guy um, was able to beat Santa's record is because I think Santa was busy doing something illegal. Uh oh. Memphis Police Department released allegedly. Allegedly, let's do that. Yes. Okay. Memphis Police Department released surveillance footage of a man who robbed Memphis City Credit Union while wearing a Santa mask. Okay, mm. good. It wasn't really him. He had a white beard, a red coat, and a red hat with fluffy white trim. Sound familiar? An employee told investigators that Santa passed out candy canes before handing them a note demanding money. You know, I think people need to get up and get them a job. Stop stealing from folks, bank customer Maureen Lewis said. Several people saw who Santa, uh, several people who saw Santa at the intersection outside of the bank came forward after finding out it had been robbed. Police are investigating. You would think that if somebody is handing out candy in a bank wearing a mask, it's probably not a good sign that anything legal is about to happen. You know? If I saw somebody, the second I saw somebody with a mask in a bank, I would run out of there or I'd call the cops or I would, uh, I don't know, do something to help. I probably wouldn't accept candy from a mask-wearing Santa Claus. But, you know, Santa Claus doesn't really offer me candy anymore. Sad. Anyway... Do you have bad breath? When we come back, 
we're going to be talking about bad breath, and it's probably not the bad breath that you're thinking when I say bad breath. But that's not going to stop me from checking my own breath to make sure that it still smells fresh. This is Jeff Simpson. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk more about that. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away, but he will be uh, joining us again tomorrow, so don't worry. With the new year comes New Year's resolutions. Many of you out there made resolutions regarding health. A gym membership and a diet might help improve our physical and emotional well-being, but there is another more fundamental activity that most people are doing wrong. Dr. Belisa Vranich is here to discuss her book, Breathe, the simple, revolutionary 14-day program to improve your mental and physical health. And she joins us here on the program this morning. Uh, Dr. Vranich, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. So now, should I say Vranich or Vranich with the accent? Well, you know what? I always go by Dr. Belisa because... People tend to maul Vranich, so I'll really answer to a lot of different things as okay. long as they're all pleasant. <laughs> so forgive my terrible tease before you came on about bad breath. That's obviously not what you're here to talk about. <laughs> but uh, So it's interesting. You're a psychologist, so how did you become specialized in breathing? Well, um, breathing is connected to your state of mind, and your physical self. So as a psychologist, obviously, I was having patients come in to talk about their anxiety and about their depression, and I tend to do things in a very dynamic way. So I give homework. Um, it's a, it's a, it's called psychodynamic therapy, where we go back and forth, and I give a lot of things to do. It's very much like a partnership that is work. And um, one of the things I would tell people to do was to either do some martial arts or do some yoga, a lot of volunteer work, read certain books, see movies and things like that. One day I integrated some of the breathing techniques that I had learned in my yoga class, and I found that my patients with anxiety actually responded really well to it. So that's how my sort of uh, path started with learning more about breathing and being able to bring it to my patients. Interesting. You know, when I when I read that you were going to be on the program this morning, I was really excited because I've been thinking recently about, you know, how I need to get in better shape. And one of the things that I've thought about is running. And one of the reasons I don't really run is because I feel like I don't know how to breathe. And another reason being I, I just really don't want to run. But uh, <laughs> that, that has... I can't help you with that Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is something that has been very real in my mind. I, I can't run because I just don't know how to breathe while I'm doing it. I don't know how to breathe properly. Uh, is this a problem that that you come across a lot in, in your work with, with people not knowing how to breathe, not, not just for running, but in, in completing other tasks or exercises in their daily lives? Yes. What, what happens usually is, is I get folks who say, I know that I've been breathing well in the past. I never felt an urgency 
in breathing and inhaling and exhaling. But recently, I just don't feel like I'm breathing right. And that's sort of my average person that comes in now. They sort of gesture to their upper chest and say, I know I'm doing something wrong because I just don't feel like I can take a deep breath. I always feel like I'm behind and trying to catch up in my breathing. So I know something's wrong. And sometimes they've even gone to pulmonology clinics and had all sorts of tests done, but they still have the sensation that something is wrong. And it's that person with their, with their intuition that something is not quite right that I really love working with because usually they're dead on. Um, they're not breathing well. They're not breathing in a way that's efficient. And their body is really giving them signals, whether it be subtle ones or, or you know, stronger, more blatant ones, that they need to change something. And the problem is that often if you go online and look for you know, a breathing class or a breathing teacher, there's not a lot out there. Yeah. So talk to us more about what are what are some of the health benefits that we're missing out on or what are some of the dangers that, that we face by not breathing correctly or properly? Oh, my gosh. Well, breathing is the cornerstone to your health. And we know this. Anytime I, I give a presentation or I talk and I talk about the importance of the breath, everyone nods. I never have anybody say, you know, I disagree with you. So we know that it's important, but we also have this idea that it's, well, just breathe. It's sort of this thing that you do naturally. And of course, it's working because it's so important. How could it not be working well? So the first thing to sort of tackle is, is the fact that although it's incredibly important, we can do it badly and still live. We're just not living very well. So talking about the breath and really understanding how it's, uh, it's devolved, how we used to do it well, how we do it so badly now, why it's happened, connecting to that and getting that information is really important in learning how to change the breath. Now, what happens when you don't breathe well is it's sort of an insidious process where you don't notice it in the beginning, but a year or two or maybe sooner what happens is that your pH um, changes and it starts changing to go to either one of the extremes, um, which is not good, either alkaline or acidic. Um, your immune system is affected. Your cortisol goes up. Um, if you have any autoimmune disorders or any inflammation in your body, it also exacerbates those. So the fallout is really just you know, incredible what happens if you're not breathing well, because it is such an important part of, of your health. And then again, of course, is the mental health part of it, which is that if you're breathing badly, you're putting your body into a state of constant stress. It might be minimal, but it's constant stress that never lets go. And that, of course, affects both your mind and your body in, in huge ways. So the wonderful things that happen uh, when you do start breathing right span from your digestion getting better to your sleep getting better to your your memory and your focus and your ability to be in the present. It's really sort of spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned your book uh, going into the interview, but it's called Breathe, the Simple Revolutionary 14-Day Program to Improve Your Mental and Physical Health. One thing that you mentioned is that, uh, you know, we all knew how to breathe properly as babies, but over the course of time, we've picked up these bad habits. So where, where are those bad habits coming from? Oh, well, actually, um, it's not really babies that I looked at. I, when I started studying this, I looked at, of course, yes, infants, but then I started looking to see, well, one-year-olds were fine and two-year-olds were fine. And actually up to five and six kids tended to 
be good breathers, but somehow something seemed to change. When I looked at 10-year-olds or 11, 12-year-olds, their breathing was terrible. So that's sort of where the problem started. And I looked at why there was a change with children that were about five to children, you know, about 10 years old. They actually switched their breathing from what I call a horizontal breath to a vertical breath. And most teenagers and young adults are really breathing in a way that imitates their parents and is supported by culture, meaning that you brace your middle. So this middle bracing it might be gut sucking because you feel like it makes you look thinner, or it could just be a response to fear. And we live in a scary world where you're bracing your body sort of makes you feel ready to either strike or to run. The problem is that it pushes your breathing to the very top part of your body, which is an inefficient breath. Interesting, because I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and to me, whenever I watch them breathe, it, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, they breathe so weird. I, you know, they, <laughs> what are they doing wrong? But really, it's, it's more likely me that's breathing incorrectly. They're both looking at you saying, what the hell is dad doing? <laughs> Look at his breathing. It's terrible. So, yes, and your four-year-old, and now that, you know, we're talking, you're going to keep your four-year-old breathing well, is that um, they're breathing. And if you look at, again, I'd, I'd say, you know, pick someone around five years old, is that they expand in the middle. And if you think of any animal on the planet, they expand where the densest part of their lungs are, where the most oxygen exchange happens. So if you look at your child or your dog or your fish, just breathe, they expand in the middle. As adults, we expand upward with our shoulders. And that completely makes no sense at all because you actually don't have the densest part of your lungs up there. It's actually the smallest less oxygen-rich part of your lungs that you're trying to fill by using your shoulders, which were never meant to be primary breathing muscles anyway. Mm. Do you think, you know, obviously you think about where a four-year-old is in their life versus, you know, somebody who's like me in their 30s. Does that come into play at all, you know, the, the level of stress that I have versus the level of a stress that my four-year-old has? Does that have Absolutely. anything to do with it? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different things. So it's it's stress, it's sitting. If you think about your five-year-old, they're going to start four-year-old, they're going to start sitting a lot. And as Americans, we sit 13 to 16 hours a day. If you had bad posture when you sit, it's going to affect your breathing up to 30%. It's waistbands, bra straps, compression garments, all these things that squeeze us in the middle that also make our breath be an inefficient breath. It's stress like you just said, is that if you're stressed out or if you're anxious or if you're scared, you breathe shallow, small breaths. If that stress doesn't let up, you continue to breathe that way. And, you know, all kinds of other things. As a child, I know that I had somebody talk to me about the fact that they fell off a sled and bruised a rib and they remembered not taking deep breaths because of the pain that they had with their bruised rib. Mm. So if you start squeezing and holding your middle because of an accident, too, as a child, then you start sitting a lot in school and then you start sucking in your little gut because you see your mom and dad do it. You have that breath change from a from a beautiful, perfect horizontal breath to a dysfunctional upper body vertical breath, which is what most people do, most adults. So, Dr. Belisa, can we get you to write us a prescription to wear yeah. comfortable sweatpants and sweatshirts here at work? Because that seems Absolutely. like that, you know, <laughs> you mentioned clothing. 
Anyway, uh, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's continue this discussion and maybe uh, get into a little bit more of the the breathing exercises that you are uh, that you are suggesting. When we come back, we will continue the discussion. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt on the Dr. Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been having a really interesting conversation with Dr. Belisa Vranich, who's been speaking to us about the benefits of controlled breathing. So, uh, yeah, if you've had a New Year's resolution to improve your health, this might be a good place to start. Dr. Belisa Vranich is a clinical psychologist with over 20 years of experience. She has spent the last decade dedicating herself to the study of breathing. She is the founder of the Breathing Class and has appeared on dozens of national media outlets. Dr. Vranich is the former sports psychologist for Gold's Gym and columnist for Shape Magazine. Dr. Belisa, thank you so much for uh, joining us again on The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me. Any breathing questions? I, I love them, um, especially if they're related to mental health and uh, and physical health. So um, this is the perfect place to be for me. Yeah. So before the break, we talked about some of the things that cause us to not breathe properly. And uh, we're hoping that during this segment of the interview, we can talk about how we can start dismantling these bad breathing habits that we've developed over time. So you can dismantle them. Um, And it's interesting because usually when someone finds out that they're not a good breather, and that's something that I give you a a test that you can take in the book Breathe, is that um, you, you have to remember that it's not going to be one of those New Year's resolutions where, where you start, you know, from scratch, that it's really this huge um, health makeover that's going to be sort of all-consuming. I remind folks that you used to breathe this way, so you're really just sort of trying to remember the way you used to breathe. And even if you consciously don't remember breathing this way, your body does. And the fact that your body does not want to be using its neck and shoulders to be breathing, it wants to be using its primary breathing muscle, which is the diaphragm. So the change is really supported by both your past and your anatomy. It's so interesting, you know, as as you were saying that, it made me think, you know, you, there there's always this saying of, oh, it's like riding a bicycle, you know, something that you, you learn and you never forget how to do it. But it's interesting that over time we forget how to do this properly. So what are what are some of the breathing exercises that you propose that we should do to help us get back on track where we should be? Well, the first thing is um, you need to focus on the exhale. And especially if you're holding a little bit of weight, more weight than you want around the middle of your body, your exhale really, really suffers. So I want to bring attention to the exhale. It's sort of the underdog. Um, Most people think 
breathe and they inhale. But the fact is that if you have a lousy exhale, your inhale is not going to be very good. So the first thing I would say is just put a little more oomph into your exhale. So as you exhale, actually think about flattening out your body or squeezing or just really just getting all the last bits of air out. The lazy exhale is really uh, detrimental to the way we're breathing. And usually because we don't pay attention to the exhale, we just sort of let go. There's a lot more air that you can get out, stale air, if you will, out of your body to make space for clean air and, and more oxygen. So the first thing I would say is really make sure that you're exhaling and giving an extra squeeze. And you should notice, wow, I actually had a lot more air in my body than, than I realized. And wow, that's air that's called residual air that is taking up space and getting in the way of me getting a good, deep, satisfying breath. So the first thing I would say is just make sure you're exhaling really, you know, efficiently. You know, this um, this is interesting. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Okay. Um do you think that a reason this is a problem for a lot of people is because we're so subconscious about, you know, our guts and not wanting to look like we have a huge belly? Oh, absolutely. But one of the things about taking a breath and expanding your middle is it really makes your middle stronger in the long run. So for a split second as you're learning, you may look a little chunkier than you're used to, but then on the exhale, you're actually going to look much thinner, and the fact is that this is really going to be much better for your core and your abs than just bracing your body. Interesting. And I've had people say what's interesting about breathing this way is, wow, I can plank more. My middle is much stronger. My back is much stronger. So we're really not doing ourselves a service in just pulling in our guts and holding it or being self-conscious about our bellies. If you let go on the inhale and let yourself expand and then squeeze on the exhale, you're actually doing an ab workout and your whole middle of your body is going to get strong as well as your digestion getting better. Wow. Okay. So start, start by focusing on exhaling. Any, yes. any other pointers? So the next uh, the exercise I'd like to give you is called rock and roll, and it's sort of the, the very basis of everything that we're doing, which is that on the inhale, and if you're sitting right now, because most of us are sitting, on the inhale, I want you to sort of tip forward and let your belly go. No one's watching. You're sitting down. Don't worry about it. Just let your belly go a little bit. Now, even if you already think, well, I think it's I've let it go all I've got, give it a little bit more. Sort of try to fill up. Let your belly go. And then on the exhale, I want you to tip back, push your back against the back of your chair, and try to get your belly to, to get smaller so your whole body narrows. Now, this always works better if you come away from the back of your seat. So if you're leaning on the back of your seat, that gets in the way of things. And most of us do lean back on our seats and sort of stay there all day. So come up from the back of your seat. On the inhale, tip forward and try to put your belly on your lap. Think Santa Claus. Uh, whatever image gets in your mind to be able to think your big belly on your lap, which is fine because this is going to make your belly stronger in the long run. And it is a beginning breath. Later on, once you get this and it really sinks in, you don't have to be letting your belly go. You can actually breathe 360 degrees in a lower body breath. So this is just the intro breath. So inhale, expand your body forwards and then rock back put your, your tailbone goes underneath you. So your hips go underneath you, your back presses up against the back of your seat and you try to narrow your body. So the image I want you to have is that your belly button gets closer to your spine and you're thinking about breathing horizontally on a plane that's in front of you. 
So not up and down. I want you to take your neck and your shoulders out of it. So take your shoulders right now, roll them, take them out of the equation. They should not be working at all. On the inhale, you're going to tip forwards. And on the exhale, you're going to tip back and give your belly a nice squeeze so that you narrow on the exhale. And now each time you tip forwards and back, even if it's a slight tip of the hips, you should take an inhale forwards and an exhale back. So that rocking at the hips helps you remember that. And you should be able to do that when you're lying down on your back. You should be able to do that when you're standing as well. So rock and roll is really the basic exercise that gets all this started in going in the right direction. Is it strange that I I can't seem to do this without closing my eyes and concentrating? (laughs) Um, You know what? It's funny, and I'm glad you say that, because most people, when they come into class, they think, oh, breathing, and they close their eyes. And I say, you know what? This is much more like a gym exercise class than it is a you know, Zen meditation type (laughs) class, even though I do teach meditation. So no, open your eyes. And in fact, if you're confused at all, you should tip your head down, chin to your chest and look at your belly and stop, you know, all the, whatever you're saying to yourself about being fat. I don't want I don't want to hear that. Um, This is about self-love and about you getting healthier. So don't even think about belly or, or any of that, but look at yourself and think about if I'm filling up Um, the bottom part of my body, which is where the biggest part of my lungs are, that part should get bigger. So you think inhale, and I want you to think the word expand. So look down at yourself, expand. And then on the exhale, you want to contract that and narrow, exhale all the way out. So anyone who has trouble with, hmm, this feels so odd to me, should open their eyes and look down and get that visual cue from themselves, either looking at themselves or looking in a mirror. That helps tremendously. Interesting. Is there is there one more uh, exercise that you can share with us? Um, I love spinal twists. So it sounds funny to think that um, that a twist that has to do with your back is good for your breathing. But the fact is that if I have to teach someone one stretch that's good for their back, good for their lungs, good for their abs, and just the entire middle part of their body, sort of from their armpits to their pelvis, is twisting in your chair is really good. Um, so what, what you do in this case is that you're going to look over your left shoulder. Let's start with the left shoulder and twist your body as if you were squeezing out a washcloth. So see if you can get your left shoulder as far over as if you were looking behind you all the way over to the back so that you're looking at as if you were looking at the person in back of you on a plane or, or in the car, Try to, trying to get your chin over to your left shoulder and seeing if you could really wring out your middle. Now, you may only get a quarter of the way around. That's perfectly fine. Switch over and go to the other side where you're now looking over your right shoulder and you're trying to really curl that middle part of your body up, wring it out as much as you can. Now, spinal twists are great because one of the things that happens is when you breathe badly, when you breathe vertically, your back suffers. Your back suffers because it's not getting the massage of your inhale and exhale. You're not getting the pressure on the inside of your body that helps support your spine. So as you learn to breathe with a lower body breath, your back is going to feel better. And doing some breathing in that twist and giving your vertebrae a chance to actually relax and move around 
um, does wonderful things for your back. Most people find, and I'm just going to let you know this, when they start breathing with that lower body breath, inhale and exhale back and forth, is their back might get a little bit sore. And that's okay. And the reason is because you're not used to those muscles in the back in your back getting movement or getting attention. And you're not used to using those muscles to exhale. So if you find yourself getting a little bit lightheaded, that's perfectly fine. Please don't drive and do this. Um, and if you find that your back or your abs are a little sore the next day, that's perfectly fine as well. You're using muscles that you haven't in the past. I was just going to ask, is cramping normal? <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. good. If you cramp and if you're thinking, wow, this feels so odd, that should be even more uh, of an encouragement to do these things because if you think about all the organs and muscles and everything that's so important that's in the middle of your body that's been stagnant for so long. You're bracing it, sort of sitting there, and then you wonder, wow, I wonder why I have acid reflux, or I wonder why I'm constipated or I have irritable bowel. Well, if nothing's moving down there the way it should, then there's going to be all kinds of repercussions, meaning lower back problems and digestive problems, which mm. you'll see if you really take this breathing seriously, will get much better really quickly. Is there anything that we can do uh, to improve our breathing in our sleep? And, I, you know, mm-hmm. I would think that uh, positioning would have a, a big part to do with that, but is there anything we can do in our sleep even? Well, for sleep, um, you need to uh, consider that probably sleeping on your, on your belly is not the best way to sleep. And actually, that's not the best way to sleep for your back as well. Um, sleeping... Uh, on your back may be good, but you may snore. I have a lot of people say, I'd love to sleep on my back, but my, um, my spouse wants to kill me because I snore. So sleeping on your side is actually good, both for the snoring problem and to get you to breathe more laterally. And you'll notice this. Try this when you go home or when you, know, when you get off the radio and, and lie on the floor and breathe a little bit, is that when, you, when you're on your side, you will actually be able to feel your sides open up when you inhale and then flatten out on the exhale. And that's what you want. You want to be able to breathe 360 degrees all the way around. So on your side is good as long as you switch sides once or twice throughout the night. Um, Again, I want to make sure that folks know that if you're snoring and if you're snoring a lot, it's not just snoring. Snoring is really bad for you. It means there's obstruction of air not being able to get into or out of your body. So if you do snore... Um, I know the CPAP machines are not sexy, but they will help you feel better during the day. They'll help you lose weight, and that way you can make sure that you're breathing all right at night. And then during the day, you focus on your breath as often as you can to make sure you're breathing well. Okay, I've got to go home and try this out because, uh, yeah, the snoring can sometimes be an issue (laughs) at home. Anyway, uh, as we wrap up here, and we really appreciate you coming on to the program this morning, what is one thing that we can take away, if, if, if we could remember one thing from this interview or one thing that we could start doing today to help improve our breathing, what could you tell us? Well, I tell you, first of all, is to remember that you used to breathe this way. So again, I'm not teaching you something that you don't know. I'm just reminding you of something that you used to do and you used to do really well. Um, your diaphragm 
which is the muscle that works when you inhale and exhale, wants to work. It's a beautiful muscle, and the only reason God put it there is to help you inhale and exhale. So really what you're doing is working with your body, and the the what's going to happen with your health is you're going to be able to get your health back, not having to take any prescriptions, not having to make any appointments, really just relying on something that's just right under your nose. Thank you so much for coming onto the program this morning. Her name is Dr. Belisa Vronich, and she's been speaking to us about the benefits of controlled breathing. Make sure to check out her book, Breathe, the Simple Revolutionary 14-Day Program to Improve Your Mental and Physical Health. Also, uh, make sure to check out her breathing class at thebreathingclass.com. Uh, Dr. Belisa Vronich is a clinical psychologist. She has over 20 years of experience in this field, and she's the former sports psychologist for Gold's Gym and columnist for Shape Magazine. So go ahead and make that one of your New Year's resolutions to breathe properly again. And speaking of New Year's resolutions, when we come back, we'll be speaking with our producer, Caitlin Thomas, who will be talking to us about New Year's resolutions. When we come back, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. As I'm sure many of you are aware, it's now 2017, so you've got to start remembering to put that on all your checks and homework assignments, and it's a tough, tough thing to start. You actually write checks. <laughs> I actually did the other day, believe it or not. We all know that uh, that it means it's time for New Year's resolutions, but how can we set good ones that will last us all year and actually help us accomplish something? Well, Caitlin Thomas is here with us this morning to give us some resolution tips. Caitlin. Hello. I'm here. Just barely, but I'm here. <laughs> Just barely. Did you have a good New Year's and Merry Christmas? Yeah, it was a great break, and then the snow piled on us here in Utah, and it was a good wake-up call. Mm. I almost missed my segment. I wouldn't call but my wake-up call at five more five o'clock in the morning a good wake-up call. No, the rest well, of the nation is happy though because they're all going to come here and ski. Yes, true. Okay. Meanwhile, me trying to drive to work it was a nightmare, but here we are. <laughs> so you could tell us what some of your resolutions are, or just in general, what tips we should keep in mind as we set our own. Well, because I started thinking about this, everybody sits down and starts writing their New Year resolutions, but mm-hmm. then by what March, April. What happened to them? January 15th. Yeah, they're out it's the window. The gym, the gyms that uh, that are the and beneficiaries <laughs> of this the most. For the first month, right. Yeah. And then I started thinking about this, and so I was just interested to see, you know, kind of the psychology behind these resolutions, why they don't stick. Yeah. And I found a couple of articles that, that had similar reasons as to why they don't stick. And so we have some good and some bad and better ways to write your resolutions so that you'll actually feel like you did something this year in 2017. Okay. So the first one was a lot of... Women, I don't know, maybe men too. Depends. But we have this goal to lose weight. Yes. And we just write that down on a paper. Lose weight. Air quotes there. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, and then we think that if we just say, I'm going to lose weight, that we're that, that means we're going to do something. But it's proven that that in and of itself isn't going to be effective. Just writing mm-hmm. down lose weight. Because losing weight isn't necessarily helpful. You need to set small goals for yourself. So rather than just write down or tell yourself you're going to lose weight, write something down like, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. 
and then mark it on your calendar what nights you're going to go. And then okay. make sure that you block out your schedule so that you can. Or cut out certain specific foods, not just say cut out sugar because fruit even has sugar in it. Sure. Like you got to be able to say I'm going to cut out cookies or um, I'm going to drink this much water every day and then make sure you do it. Things like that. I'm cutting out the fruit. That was my – Oh, you're going to cut out fruit? Happy New Year's mm, resolution. Good luck with that. <laughs> and then it's, instead of saying, I want to lose 25 pounds in the next three months, like make a goal to say, I'm going to lose one pound every week and you'll just feel better. And then you'll actually feel like you're accomplishing something. So you're not getting discouraged when you can't accomplish the big, big thing step. right off yeah, the bat. So yeah. Set small, reachable goals for yourself. So go to the gym once a week or go to the gym for two hours a week and then work it up until you can get to where you want to be by December 2017. Okay. So there's those ones. Um, but then there's other vague resolutions people set like be better or serve more or go <laughs> places. Like, okay, what are we going to do to be better? So the the articles that I was reading t- said to set actual goals that you can actually mark off a list. Like set a goal that you're going to volunteer somewhere once a month and then make a goal where, you, where you're going to do that and – um, or make sure that you're going to work at the soup kitchen or start a social media initiative. Whatever it is you're going to do, you got to make a specific goal that you can actually do and then cross off your list. Okay. Because th- rather than just say, I'm going to be a better person. Okay. But <laughs> so you're saying you don't want me to be better. I want you to be better, but I want you to be better at setting resolutions <laughs> okay. by actually writing down goals. <laughs> okay. See, there you go. Nice. Um, and that'll think, uh, that just helps you have something to work towards. And when you have something to work towards, it actually helps you have a more positive attitude about what you're doing. All right. For example. And avoid using um, negative language like stop watching television or don't eat desserts, things like that. Ah. Our minds don't, don't like stuff when we're told in that kind mm. of way. So say, I'm only going to watch television for two hours a week or only eat dessert on Sundays. Things that you can, like, oh, I still can watch TV, just less time. But in your mind, it sounds more positive. So you'll actually want to do that. So I should write down that I want to find weight, not lose weight. Sure. (laughs) To be more positive. (laughs) Sure. I mean, sure. Um, And then the last one was, this was my favorite one, because this applies to all of the young adults like me. Don't set a goal to change your relationship status this year. Like, don't really? set a goal to get married. Apparently, there's a lot of people that set a goal that say, in 2017, I'm going to get married. Now, is but that, you don't have control over that. Oh, uh, yeah. Not always. You know that? And it then you might be really tango. disappointed at the end of the year if you don't, if you keep setting this goal to get married and it doesn't happen. That's something that will just happen on its own. The thing is, you can never set a goal for another person. Right. And two people are involved exactly. in that decision. But if, if Plus, you're a man, you could say, I'm going to go, I'm going to have a goal to go on more dates date. this yeah. year. You could do, yeah, something like that. Or even girls. You can make a goal like, I made a goal to ask out one boy this year. I've never asked a guy on a date before. Good so I for thought you. that would be fun. That's, and that's not necessarily about dating. That's just more for confidence reasons. I have four but. daughters and I'm teaching them all that they, it is perfectly fine for a girl to ask a guy out yeah so i thought i mean since i mean they have girls choice dances in high school but i haven't actually gone out and said hey like do you want to go to this movie with me or whatever so you can do something like that but don't set yourself up for disappointment and heartbreak by saying that or even for adults like you some adults will say i'm gonna i'm gonna find a new job this year and that doesn't always happen so rather than try and change your situation with your resolutions just try and make take what you already have and just try and make it better caitlin 
You nailed it again. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. And good luck with your New Year's resolutions. We'll take a quick break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we're going to be continuing this conversation about health and resolutions. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Liss, but that's okay. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning. This is Jeff Simpson here with Terry South and Sean O'Neill. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're Dr. Mattless this morning, but that's okay. He'll be back tomorrow, and uh, he's going to miss out on all the fun this morning. We've been talking celebrity deaths. We've been talking Santa Claus, bank robbers. Is that fun? No. Oh, I was just wondering the it's same ev- thing. It's eventful. We've you been tried, having so much fun this morning talking about celebrity them. deaths. We're yes. honoring them. We, we honored Andy Williams with Moon River. We honored Princess Leia right. by talking about how poor the CGI was in Rogue One. Damn. Just honored. Yeah. I, I I feel like I'm being picked on this morning. Just, well, you're sitting in Matt's spot. Uh, just, well, I'm know. standing, but that's okay. beside the point. Celebrity deaths. It's Fun. like, you know. <laughs> All right. You caught me. Anyway, it is Tuesday, January 3rd. We've, been, we've also been talking New Year's resolutions. Do either of you have any set in place yet? I never make New Year's resolutions. No. We'll make that your next resolution, to make one. No, I always resolve to not resolve. So yeah. you do have a New Year's re- a, a resolution then. <laughs> okay. I get it. But, uh, yeah, we spoke with Caitlin. She gave us some tips. So you have no excuse now. You really don't. Anyway. Well, if you, if you don't make the resolution, then isn't it? You never mean, fail. It's achievable. That's right. <laughs> Good for the two of you. It is. Okay. Well, there is one other celebrity death that we're going to talk about later on in the show, but we're going to save that for Sports Nation. So maybe that's So now a, you're, teasing with, you're teasing with death. Yes. Okay. I'm not teasing that somebody's going to die. Somebody did die, and it's sports-related, but mm. you, if you're listening, you probably already know who it is. Right. Anyway, oh, by the way... Today is Festival of Sleep Day. Oh, I like that. I'm not sure why. None of us got to celebrate it this morning. I was going to say, I had to get up early. (laughs) There was no explanation other than it's today. Well, one of our guests earlier in the show talked to us about how we can improve our breathing and even how we can improve our breathing in our sleep, which I didn't know was possible because we're not conscious. Right. But she did say we can sleep on our sides. Nope. Mm-hmm. So not going to happen. Nope. Oh, I always sleep on my side. Okay. I the only way I can fall asleep is on my stomach, unless I'm dead tired, and then I can fall asleep on my back. But she said it's actually better to sleep on your side, which I can only do if I sleep like a vampire and put my arms across my chest. Now I did read somewhere where there's one side. I can't. I can't remember which one, but there's one side that's better than the other because. Like your your organs inside will kind of slump, 
to okay. one side. And it's better if you sleep the other way because they don't slump as far, if that makes any sense. But you can't remember which side it no, is. No, I'd have to look it Darn up. It. But I'm, oh. I, I was reading that. And I go, is that why I feel this way when I sleep? It's interesting. And then I slept the other way. My problem is I roll around a lot. So Yeah. Anyway, maybe we'll ask Ron Hager if he knows. Yeah, is there a preferred side when you sleep? It, yeah. Is there a like physiological correct side to sleep on? That's what it is. Speaking of health, we'll when, be speaking when, with our health evangelist, yes. Dr. Ron Hager. Anyway, that's all the good stuff that's coming up. Terry, what do you want to tell, uh, talk to us about what's going on around the rest of the country? President-elect Donald Trump voiced dissatisfaction over Republicans' vote behind closed doors Monday to curb the powers of an independent ethics office that was established nearly a decade ago. With all that Congress has to work on, do they really have to make the weakening of the independent ethics watchdog as unfair as it may be? Their number one act and priority, Trump tweeted this morning. He added that Republicans should focus on tax reform, health care, and so many other things far greater of importance. Should the House Rules Package be adopted today, as expected, the Office of Congressional Ethics will be named the Office of Congressional Complaint Review. So it goes from Office of Ethics to Complaint Review. Do we have a complaint department here at BYU Radio? Nothing that will actually listen to your complaint. Hmm. And it's good that way. Okay. There's less complaining that way, right? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> no one's yeah. there to listen, I guess. I don't know. There might be actually a, a place we can go. Probably HR. I know we, we've threatened to go to HR for several people, so we may do that one actually, day. Actually, you just send an email to everybody, but it's really just for one person. So far, House Speaker Paul Ryan, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and Trump have uh, questioned this action by Republicans. Also involved in this rules package they're looking to, to go is that you can't uh, fa- use Facebook Live or Periscope on the House floor. If you remember, there was a protest several months ago where the de- a bunch of Democrats came in and sat down on the floor. They shut off the cameras. The Republicans who control the place turned off the cameras. So the Democrats picked up their phone and started live streaming. Mm. And people like C-SPAN like clicked in and started uh, – picked up the live stream and followed it that way, which made the Republican leadership angry. So now they're trying <laughs> to pass rules so you can't do that on the House floor. Just, Can you tweet? I don't know. They may curtail mm. that. I may make that part of the rules. Who knows? In a December 5th meeting between President-elect Trump's transition team and the Department of Homeland Security officials, Trump's representatives requested a broad selection of documents and analysis, including the federal resources available to build border walls, a list of all executive orders President Obama issued regarding immigration, and any changes made to files on foreign-born adults brought into the U.S. illegally as children and granted temporary, temporary protection by Obama. Uh, Tuesday, citing an internal Department of Homeland Security memo uh, that it suggested that Trump wants to ramp up a program of aerial surveillance by the National Guard that was downsized under Obama but is popular with conservatives. The DHS also provided the Trump team with the cost estimates for building fencing along both America's southern and northern borders and a Canada wall is actually quite cheaper at $3.3 billion. Hmm. So the bargain is the Canada wall. The Mexico border wall would cost $11.3 billion, mostly because it would be aimed at keeping out pedestrians, not just vehicles. Well, there's more trees on the Canadian border, I think, so it's easier to build, right? Yeah, that's a good point. There are some issues where the border actually goes through people's property. And maybe they'd have to figure out ownership and everything. Maybe they're using Canadian contractors and they're friendlier and 
they don't charge as high of rates. Right. Go with stereotypes. U.S. Customs <laughs> and Border Protection said a temporary outage with the agency's processing system on Monday night caused delays up to three hours at airports across the country. A spokesperson said the problem has been fixed and there is no indication the disruption was malicious. The big cost of the Canadian wall is going to be snow removal. Snow removal. Mm. Again, stereotypes. They clearly didn't spend is any money. <laughs> they clearly didn't spend any money on snow removal here. Yeah. Anyway. And finally, uh, SpaceX are currently one of the only ways our country has of getting into space. But is, let's let's land it on a boat. Right. They're trying. It's an idea. It let's is. See what happens. Um, they are uh, going to resume space flights. The company announced Monday that it's planning to launch a Falcon 9 rocket Sunday, January 8th from California's Vandenberg Air Force Base. This will mark the company's first launch since September 1st when a Falcon 9 rocket exploded during the routine pre-launch test at the Kennedy Space Center. Mm-hmm. There's a problem with some hydrogen tanks or helium or some gas tanks or something. Didn't they have up, a successful so. landing, though? They did. Okay. But then they also crashed one right no no they've they've crashed Mm. more than one but Um, yes the interesting thing since that is the guy that owns spacex is elon musk who also is involved with tesla and all Mm -hmm. that um the the satellite that blew up when that rocket blew up was a facebook satellite and so there's been some sort of back and forth between facebook and elon musk on who's doing what with who's billions of millions of dollars kind of fun kind of fun wow so it seems like every couple of weeks, it doesn't seem like every couple of weeks, every couple of weeks we do talk to one of our resident health uh, evangelists. Yes. He's our only health Terry? evangelist. No. Ron no. Hager. Yes. And Terry, you mentioned I try to, that I, you had some health news because you like to give him a hard time. Not give him a hard time. It's just I like to take the news he brings, the information he brings, and I try to help it along with some some information that I found. Okay. So the ten we'll slimming, see if this helps. <laughs> ten slimming foods to eat if you sit all day. Ooh. Right. I, you know, people in this building, okay. we tend we do. to he, sit Ron's a lot. already laughing. Yeah, I know. The first one they mentioned is berries. Different types berries. of berries. Blueberry. It says uh, that's because they contain powerful flavonoids called I don't know all this stuff. So berry. I, I could read this, but. I just get corrected. So they're deep in vitamin C and stuff. So eat some berries. And they're just healthy, right? A variety of berries. It says uh, nuts. They may not be as powerful as animal-based omega-3s, which are found in fatty fish. But uh, nuts are a great source of plant-based anti-inflammatory omega-3 known as ALA, which I is – that, is that correct, Dr. Hager? Okay, good. I thought We're that just, was short for Alabama. <laughs> so did I, but we're just checking with checking on the information. Didn't we have a guest on the program say that almonds and peanuts are the best nuts that you can consume? Is that right? Could be. I don't know. Okay. One nut's another nut, right? It just turns everything. They're not crazy. the best tasting. Um, number three, pineapple. Apparently, pineapple's mm. a healthy, healthy snack. I like hearing that one. Mm-hmm. I like um, hearing that. Can I get a pineapple Dole Whip? Not the same. Not okay. the same. Uh, olive oil. So maybe some food. With olive oil. I wouldn't recommend just drinking olive oil. You can make that mm. pineapple whip with... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, turmeric, they say, is a good... Uh, oh, a I don't want to get a turmeric. You could have some Turmeric's good for coloring. If you like your if you like right. yellowish food. It goes on and says garlic, which is... My wife yeah. had a... My wife cooked with garlic over the weekend, and we got mm-hmm. a, she got a garlic burger the other day. The house really smells of garlic. <laughs> got to fix that. Um, and then avocado... Yes. Or as my mom calls as my mom calls it an avocado. I'll get Walk. I'll get in trouble for that. Um fatty fish and uh, flax seeds. 
Flax seeds. Flax seeds. Mm-hmm. Eat some flax seeds. I don't like how they get stuck in my teeth. Yeah. yeah that hurts. Mm. And in that same uh, vein, there's some new uh, food out. <clears throat> I always bring new wait, food wait, new to the show. Food. No, you didn't. I you do. brought a story, not new food. Where's I, the food? I have brought the information about new food. How's okay, that? Okay, there you go. And we Let's can be more accurate. run through these flavors. The latest limited edition variety of uh, Oreos. Yes. <laughs> cho- yes. Chocolate strawberry. Ooh. Hmm. I'd try it. It will be sold nationwide through Valentine's Day. So chocolate strawberry. The Swedish fish ones, I just, no. As it says, no. The new sandwich cookie maintains its crunchy chocolate cookie outside, but is filled with a chocolate and strawberry creme center, making it similar to, if less healthy than, a chocolate-covered strawberry. You know, I'd rather spend $2.50 on a case of chocolate-covered strawberry Oreos than spend $2.50 on one chocolate-covered strawberry. Oh, I don't know about that. And just so we're all aware, Valentine's Day apparently is just about six weeks away. Oh, you can tell because, you yeah, know, no, the seasonal the, aisle in the store is now Valentine's. The store's flipped. The and camp- it was there before Christmas. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And gearing up for Valentine's Day, M&M's has a new flavor. M&M's? <laughs> M&M's. They have like one a week now. Pretty much. No, yeah. that's Oreo. This one is white cheesecake. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. They come yes. in light pink, cream, and white-colored fill- filled with uh, cheesecake flavoring rather than chocolate. Okay. Oh, my goodness. So what do you think? Cheesecake-flavored M&M's. Of no. course. No question. No. Okay. I would try that over the Oreos Only in if they have the peanuts in them. Maybe they have peanut cheesecake M&M's. Let's hope so. Oh. You know, speaking of healthy foods and uh, police. I wasn't, but go ahead. Okay. This is – I want to just get our last Christmas story out of our system here because it's no longer Christmas. Tears flowing right now. A county sheriff's officer in Florida gave out onions instead of traffic citations for drivers slightly going over the speed limit in a school zone on the Florida Keys Overseas Highway. Dressed as the Grinch, Sheriff's uh, Colonel Lou Caputo – Lou? Colonel Lou who – who was no more than two, doled out about a dozen onions to motorists not speeding more than five miles per hour. That would be so frustrating. he's handing out onions, he's the Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> not more than five miles per hour. Wow. He is the Grinch. Uh, this was near an elementary school. Caputo has worn the Grinch costume around Christmas almost every year since seeing actor Jim Carrey in the 2000 movie of the same name. Caputo usually offers drivers a choice between an onion or a ticket. And here's the part that confuses me. Nearly every time they accept the vegetable over the really? ticket. Really? Who's, hmm. who's taking the ticket over the onion? See, now when I read this originally, I thought that the person had to eat it. In his presence. But that seems mm. like that would not be legal. That's a, Yeah, that's a little off. Hmm. Would but you would eat take... an onion in front of a police officer to get out of a ticket? Depends on the size of the onion. Hmm. <laughs> I would rather eat an onion than garlic. I will say that. Speaking of garlic. Ah, just slow down, especially in the snowy weather. Mm-hmm. Don't go even five miles over the speed limit or Officer Lou Hu, who was no more than two, might pull you over and give you an onion or a ticket. (sighs) But I would take the onion and put it in a nice recipe 
and eat it that night. That would taste so much better than a $150 ticket or whatever the going rate for five miles an hour over the speed limit would be. Anyway, goodbye with Christmas, but hello to the new year and New Year's resolutions. And a big one that a lot of people are going to have on their lists is improving their health. So what better way to ring in the new year here on the Matt Townsend Show than to speak with our good friend, Dr. Ron Hager, who's going to be talking to us a little bit more about our health when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Well, I hope you're ready for a miracle because you're going to get one here this morning with Dr. Ron Hager, our resident health evangelist. And Dr. Hager, I just, I feel like I should apologize on behalf of Matt because it seems like I'm now the resident Ron Hager interviewer. I, I just want you to know he's not purposely dodging the the days that you're here with us. He, it just so happens that typically when he's not here, it happens to be a Tuesday. I thought maybe he was... Having like a guilt complex. You know, it's like <laughs> I come in, we talk about the things he should be doing. So he says, well, I'm just not going to go in. He doesn't want to change. Maybe. That's what it's all about. <laughs> I don't know. But we, when we when he gets back here, we'll tell him that, look, you just need to admit you have a problem. Just it's going to be okay. He's not going to guilt trip you into anything. Thank you so much yeah. for being here. Do you have a good Christmas and New Year's? Yeah. Yeah, I did. In fact, I thought, you know, the obvious topic today would be resolutions. Mm-hmm. But I've never had a lot of success with those, so I decided to, <laughs> we wouldn't talk specifically about resolutions yeah. and how to keep them. And we did have Caitlin. Kind of Caitlin Thomas, our producer, was talking about that earlier, yeah. and she, you know, she just mentioned make small, manageable goals, not anything too vague. But you know, hopefully, yeah. that's a good start. I heard I heard on, on a on a news thing this morning that one of the number one resolutions that people are making as, as they've been interviewed is to have a different job. Really? Sometime during the year. That was one of the most frequently heard resolutions. And I thought, wow, that seems kind of odd. Hmm. But I, I think mine will be to just set goals. I don't set enough goals. And I've noticed that when I set more goals, I get more accomplished yeah. and I feel better about myself. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I like the idea of learning something new. Yeah. You know, uh, instead of saying, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that. Maybe get to the root cause of things and just say, you know, I, I just want to learn something. I, I just want to learn a new thing. I mean, it can be a skill. It can be, you know, a piece of knowledge. It can be some other attribute. But, you know, learn something new. I, you know, and the reason I say that is because another one of the number one resolutions is, as you said, you know, I want to get more healthy. I want to exercise more. I want to lose weight or, uh, you know, uh, or whatever it is. But to say I want to exercise more doesn't really get to the root, right? Right. So maybe you want to say, I want to learn about how to take better care of my body. Right. And then that starts to change your behavior. Sure. Great. Sure. I mean, that's an idea. Okay. <laughs> so you're not talking about resolutions, but right. you're, you're talking about research. Speaking of learning something new, right. what, can this, what can this research in the field of health teach us? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor at a university um, and to some extent, I'm even required to do some research. I have grad students who do research. I help them with that. And I like doing research. Uh, so you'd think I'd be kind of biased, you know, towards research. You know, research can solve all our problems. If we just have enough research, we can find the answer to anything. Yeah. Uh, but I'm actually kind of biased in the other direction. I'm, 
I'm a little bit sort of anti-research. We've had, we have more research now today than we've ever had in history, uh, and and not the least of which is you know research about health. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you have to stop at some point and ask yourself if that's if that's the answer. You know, just more research. Then why why have we not gotten a whole lot healthier uh, over the last ten, twenty, thirty, forty years? Right, because it's there's so much research, like as you said, and it's. So much of it is contradictory, and it's always changing. So how do we know what to believe? Yeah. So when it comes to things like health research, I kind of liken it to a jigsaw puzzle. Hmm. Um, you know, that's what – I mean, that's kind of what research is about, finding pieces to a puzzle, getting the bigger picture. And and that and that's true for health research too or, you know, how to avoid chronic disease. So I, I think of it as like a 50,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. Oh, boy. That's a big jigsaw puzzle. And when it comes to what we know and what we don't know, there's probably more that we don't know. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that. So in other words, most of the pieces of the puzzle are probably missing. But the fortunate thing is, and if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, you know that if you have a picture of what the final puzzle is supposed to look like, it certainly helps. If you see a, 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 a an area of the puzzle that's mostly one color, then you can look for those pieces and kind of start putting it together. Right? Yeah. So, so that helps. And I think when it comes to, you know, the health research puzzle, we, um, we, we pretty much know what the final picture is going to look like, don't you think? Oh, yeah. 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 You know, avoid disease, feel as good as we can feel, be as functional as we can be, not have sick days, not have to access the healthcare system. I mean, there's a variety of things you can look at. So we kind of have a good idea of what the final picture looks like. Um, and, and not all studies, you know, results are the same. And this is what gets a lot of people. One study comes out and says you should do this. Another study comes out and says you should not do that. So sometimes we have a piece of the puzzle that's not even for the right puzzle. Perhaps. That's frustrating. Perhaps. And a lot of people do get frustrated <laughs> and they kind of throw up their arms and say, well, forget it. You know, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Uh, because – the research doesn't know what they're doing either. They're, you know, the, the, the results are saying this in one instance and then the exact opposite in another instance. So that can also be kind of frustrating. But I, I personally feel like there is enough good scientific information on the mm-hmm. requirements for healthy living to transform the health of most people. So how do you translate that into actually, you know, practical application for an individual? I, I think that actually comes up on the responsibility of the person themselves. They have to study. I, I know, like, for example, my, my children, uh, when they want to, you know, have a new phone. You know, they're older now, but even even now, uh, you know, I've got a son that loves dogs. If he thought he wanted to have a, a dog, he would literally spend hours and hours and hours studying which dog he wants. He would learn everything about yeah. their traits, their attributes, their characteristics, how big they get. Uh, how active they are, what diseases they're prone to. And I'm not kidding. He may spend 50 to 100 hours. When was the the last time anybody did that regarding their own personal health? Usually it uh, it involves trying to save a couple of bucks on a product. Usually. (laughs) Usually. Yeah. So they research which product is the most effective at the least expense. Yeah. Or they literally just turn it over to the healthcare system. They say, I don't feel good. I'll go see the doctor. Whatever the doctor says, that's what I'm going to do. So now, unfortunately, a lot of people out there are 
they're getting their information in probably not the best of places. Like, you know, they'll think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look on WebMD or I'm going to look on Wikipedia. Right. What's a good place to start? You know, those aren't necessarily bad places. There are – I mean, most people turn to the internet nowadays when they have – you know, my son who wants to have a new dog. I mean, that's exactly where he's going to go. And most people will do that. They they will go – if they have a question about something, that's kind of what we do nowadays. We turn to the internet. We may actually – Go a little beyond that and ask an expert, you know, have some face-to-face interaction with an expert, which is also a good idea. But there are places online that are, you know, valid, uh, meaningful sites. If they're trying to sell a product, probably not. Hmm. You know, anytime a person sees a product for sale, there's pretty much going to be a bias. I I mean, that's just my opinion. Okay. So, you know, I I, I don't have a particular website in mind, but, you know, there are a lot of good sources out there. But when it comes to things regarding our health, a lot of people overcomplicate it, right? Uh, You know, with, with respect to diet, this is what thousands and thousands and thousands of research studies have concluded, that you eat at least five servings and fruits and vegetables every day, and more is even better. Okay, now you talked about that just a little earlier with the onions and the berries and whatever, uh, you know, nuts and, uh, you know, almost all of those things uh, that Terry was mentioning, you know, things that you can eat if you're going to sit all day to help you. I mean, that's a little bit of a contradiction, right? Like like uh, sitting all day is bad for you, but I can offset that, you know, right. if I eat these foods. It doesn't really work that way. Just so you know, it's it, it doesn't, you know, you can't. Do something wrong and then do something right and then say no consequence. Mm. You know, th- there's a consequence for every action. Sure. Um, eat, eat whole grains as opposed to refined grains. Uh, limit consumption of red meat. Uh, you know, probably to more, you know, not more than one to two servings per week. You can exchange it for things like poultry and fish. Uh, consume nuts and beans, seeds, legumes, those kinds of things on a regular basis. Uh, so basically what we're talking about is a plant-based diet. It doesn't have to be vegetarian or vegan, but plant-based. Avoid trans fats. Those are sometimes what I call the Frankenstein fats, uh, and they're particularly bad for you. Um, I, I've got a quick question about trans fats. Isn't it true that even though it might say that there are no trans fat in a product, that there <laughs> even there might be trans fat in that product? Yeah, as long as it has less than half a gram per serving, uh, product labeling can state uh, oh. no trans fat. So you could actually be getting, you know, up to two grams of trans fat. In something you would eat if, in fact, you know you ate about four or five servings of it. Which, when you think about servings versus portions, you know, uh, you, you look at a package of Oreos. You mentioned Oreos earlier. A serving is two Oreos. Who in their right mind ever eats just two Oreos? It's right. like, well, I've had my serving. I'm done. You know, it's you know, for most people, a serving is different than a portion. A portion of Oreos is like one row. Yeah. Right. It's like okay, yeah. there's three rows in this bag, and if I break it out over three days, exactly. I'll have one row today, one row tomorrow. Right. So it, it's not hard to overconsume trans fats, but you should be aware of that. When it comes to being, exor- you know, to being physically active or exercising regularly, uh, the best evidence says 40 to 60 minutes a day. That's, uh, and that can include things like brisk walking, but it can also uh, be accumulated over the course of the day. So it doesn't have to be formal structured you know, exercise at a gym or a fitness center. Uh, it can be uh, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Uh, shoveling the sidewalk instead of using a snowblower. I mean, anything uh, that that causes you more exertion, you know, than just sitting or lying down, uh, can be good for you. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, smoking is a big one, and, and using tobacco products. 
And then, of course, you know, nowadays there's the e-cigarette kind of a, a mm-hmm. thing where it's, you know, maybe not even tobacco related, but and the and the evidence is still out on that. But I mean, think about it. You know, uh, inhaling vaporized chemicals into your lungs probably right. not the smartest thing in the world. So, so these are the basic recommendations that come from the research. And quite frankly, I don't think you need research to tell you those things. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. so, so what can the research do for you? Uh, probably not a whole lot. Uh, as long as you're willing to follow your, uh, your, your, your conscience or whatever you want to call it, follow your common sense, common sense can kind of tell you what you need to do. Huh. So that's that's a good place to start right there. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's continue this discussion. And you mentioned, you know, that our actions have consequences. And I think you've got an example of that that you wanted to share that's uh, pretty amusing and also maybe a little scary. We'll take a quick break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Are you ready for a miracle? Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson here uh, covering for Dr. Matt while he's away. He will return tomorrow, though, so do not despair. And he's not just trying to dodge Dr. Ron Hager so that he doesn't have to feel guilty about his eating habits. I think he's fairly healthy. (laughs) Thanks. No, not you. I meant Matt. 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 (laughs) Well, I think Matt's fairly healthy, too, except when he's sick. Could you imagine... Our, me saying that to our health expert, like, you you look like you're kind of healthy. I, I will say uh, there are things I need to improve on. I you, mean, I, I'm you not might perfect. Know, you might know a thing or two about health. No, he's actually our associate professor of exercise sciences uh, in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. And this last segment, you talked about how we can't just get into the mindset of thinking that our actions, our eating actions don't have consequences. And uh, you brought an example with you that's that's very interesting and maybe a little scary, but also uh, definitely humorous that you might want to share with us. Well, I, I actually think it's humorous, even though it's a serious research study. It was published in the American Journal of Cardiology, which is not not a small-time journal. It's a premier medical journal. Right. Uh, but I, as soon as I read the title of the of the paper, I... I thought, I got a, is this for real? Uh, the title is, can a statin, and a statin, by the way, is a prescription medication for lowering cholesterol. It's one of the most popular uh, types of prescribed drugs in the world. Speaking, uh, I'm sorry, speaking of research, is there, a, I mean, what type of research is there about statins and the effectiveness of it? Yeah, and, well, that's kind of what this study uh, used as, as their justification. Okay. So, so the title of the, the study or the article is, can a statin neutralize the cardiovascular risk of unhealthy dietary choices. So it's like if I eat an unhealthy diet, can I take a statin and, you know, the negative and the positive cancel each other out and all is well. And and so they use uh, the studies that have been done on statins and and, the, and they've been studied extensively. I mean, obviously, if something has to have FDA approval, it's it goes through, a you know, one heck of a process uh, and and very expensive as well. Hence, these statins are also some of the most lucrative uh, pharmaceuticals in the world as well. So, so what the researchers did is they said, look, look, given that we know that statins can can have a quantitative uh, effect on on lowering cholesterol, I mean, it's it's absolutely documented, and we also have evidence to show from a quantitative standpoint what kind of increased health risk a person may be at if they eat an unhealthy diet, uh, 
let's juxtapose these two things and see and see what happens. So this wasn't an actual study like, you know, they used human guinea pigs or something right. like that. They're yeah. just saying we have two bodies of evidence, one that if you if you eat unhealthy, particularly things with trans fat, saturated fat, that it increases your risk in a quantifiable way. If you take a statin, it decreases your risk in a quantifiable way. And they were specifically looking at cardiovascular disease, which is, uh, you know, related to the number one killer uh, in in the United States and other developed countries, and that is heart disease. So, uh, so their idea was that uh, if you increase, uh, you know, the relative risk by one activity, say, uh, an unhealthy diet, can you neutralize that? by an opposing change in relative risk from a second activity like taking this prescription medication. Mm-hmm. So what they did is that, like I said, they laid these two uh, pieces of information over each other to see what would happen. And they said, this is what they concluded or what they came up with, that the risk reduction associated with daily consumption of most statins is more powerful than the risk increase caused by the daily extra fat intake associated with eating a quarter pounder with cheese and a small milkshake. So the conclusion is that statin therapy can neutralize the cardiovascular risk caused by harmful diet choices. Now, where do you get your statin? Does everybody run out and say, well, you know, I love quarter pounders and milkshakes, so I got to go get my doctor to give me a statin? Well, many of these statins have run their proprietary course, and so generic versions are available now. Mm-hmm. So what they're recommending is that statins be available in restaurants where these kinds of, you know, foods that increase your risk are served, that statins be available as a condiment. So like a little packet you can tear open and you can sprinkle it in your milkshake and stir it up and sprinkle it on your cheeseburger or whatever, your fries, just like you would salt or ketchup or... Or, or something like that. I so, like a quarter pounder with uh, extra statin. Right. <laughs> and then one or the other. Uh, well, they actually, in the article, they actually say, you know, it could be called something like the McStatin. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> so, so and, and one of their rationales is that, you know, that in other what they call spheres of human activity, like riding a motorcycle might be, you know, higher risk. Well, people compensate by wearing a helmet. Or people who smoke, smoke cigarettes with filters you know, to lower their risk. Or if they ride in a car, they wear a seatbelt. But to me, it's not the same thing. So it seems like people want to believe that this is true. They want to believe (laughs) that they don't have to change all that much about themselves, that they can keep doing these activities that aren't really all that healthy or safe for them. You know, people do this with exercise or physical activity as well. They say, you know, I went to CrossFit this morning for an hour. So for the rest of the day, it's okay if I don't do anything? Right. Well, I've talked before on the show, you know, about the consequences of sitting, sitting too much. You know, people who sit eight hours or more per day, even if they are getting two times the World Health Organization recommendation for exercise, they're still uh, 50% higher risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. And you may have noticed that Sean and I are both standing while you're in the room. We didn't do that for other parts of the show. Yeah. So, so I, I just want to mention one thing here uh, as, as, we, as we finish up. This is a quote from Walter Willett. Uh, he's from the Harvard Medical School, works in their uh, uh, division of nutrition and health. Uh, he's one of the 
He's written a lot. He's, he's done a lot of research, written a few books. Maybe, uh, you know, one if a person's interested in reading is called Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy. Mm. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, book based on, the, based on the evidence. It's not just his opinion, based on the evidence. But this is what he said, and I think this is a key. The inherent problem is that most pharmacologic strategies, which means medicine, do not address the underlying cause of ill health in Western cultures, which are not drug deficiencies. So he's saying if a person has ill health, it's, it's not caused because they're not taking a statin or some other medication. That's not what's causing their ill health. Right. So really, that, that's not the answer is what he's saying. Now, there are cases when medication is obviously a good thing, uh, but I think there's no question we become over-dependent on medication. Uh, so, you know, the, so the question is, what does an individual do? Well, there was, there was another study that was conducted in 2005, Journal of the American Dietetic Association. The results showed that after a 40-hour educational course delivered over a four-week period, participants had significantly improved chronic disease risk factors and health behaviors. For example, systolic blood pressure in the highest risk category went down over 15 points. Diastolic blood pressure in the highest category went down 14 points, and total cholesterol in the highest risk category went down 43 points, or almost 18% reduction. This was by way of an educational course. Now you say, well, okay, I want that educational course. Well, just go out and do your own research. Figure out what's going to work best for you. You don't need somebody to tell you what what I believe you inherently already know. You've just got to maybe dig down, find out what's going to work for you, Use common sense. Uh, the research is good. I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing the research, but you don't really need somebody to show you at a P less than 0.05 significance that eating more fruits and vegetables is better for you than not eating more fruits and vegetables. Right. Right? Wow. Dr. Ron Hager, thank you so much again for being on the program. And I was, I was thinking of a summary of what you talked about, and you summed it up yourself. So there you go. (laughs) Thanks. If you have a New Year's resolution, use your common sense when it comes to your health, but then also go out and do more research. And uh, wow. Do your own study. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with probably Jason and and Spencer from BYU Sports Nation. Hopefully they're both here to talk to us when we return. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away on a previous engagement. He's not sick because of too much eggnog, as I teased earlier in the program. And hopefully, neither are our two friends at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Did you have too much eggnog for Christmas? Nope, but I am I drinking Shasta right now. Jeff, greatest Shasta flavor. Go. Uh, uh, orange. Or- Shasta orange? Grapefruit. <laughs> Great, there we go. <laughs> Grapefruit I can get on board with. Spin okay. the uh, crayon I'm I am st- staring at a 2016 raspberry cream special edition can of Shasta, and it tastes delicious. Ooh. I had a cactus cooler at a New Year's party. Cactus cooler is also uh, oh, a solid choice. Cooler. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a regular in the BYU TV coolers for... Sporting events. Yeah, they're a Coca-Cola brand. Yeah, Cactus. Who? Who? Oh, really? Yes. Who got on board between Coca-Cola and Cactus Cooler to make that deal happen? 
Hmm. Pat that person on the back. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we saved, we've been speaking a lot about celebrity deaths this morning, and we saved one in particular for the two of you, and I'm sure you can guess who that is. Okay, I'm guessing uh, you're probably going to go with the BYU angle, right? Yes. Uh, Well, there have been two prominent coaches that have passed away recently, Lavelle Edwards and uh, the great Carl McGowan of uh, BYU Volleyball. How are you taking the news? It's it been was, a, it's been it a weird was, week. Yeah, it was really tough because Thursday on the show, I w- I was gone. I've been uh, out or ill. Uh, Spencer and Jason Shepard uh, were on the show Thursday when the news came out. So that that was a show that extended uh, to a two hour show, and then there was another live one, and then Friday's show was fantastic, and then yesterday's show. Uh, we we will, by the way, continue to remember. And celebrate the life of Lavelle Edwards. This entire week, we're going to have a guest on every day yeah. to continue to discuss the life of Lavelle Edwards, who changed college football with the way that BYU passed the ball and he won a national championship and had a Heisman Trophy winner. BYU is the last non-Power 5 program to do either of those things. And he was an amazing person. And Carl McGowan uh, changed volleyball in the way he... Uh, his methods for practicing and playing and won two national titles here. And So it's been it's been... It's been tough, um, but we're excited about the chance to celebrate the life of those yeah. two guys. To be involved in it somehow is pretty humbling, quite honestly. Man. You know how I knew the severity or the, the gravity of the situation was when on Sunday my ecclesiastical leader or bishop uh, mentioned Lavelle Edwards over the pulpit and got choked up. It's, Isn't it crazy that people who did, haven't met him they feel like he's Grandpa connect- Lavelle, right? Yeah, or connection. Uncle Lavelle. That's the type of man that he was. And what's so cool with all of the uh, athletes that we have talked to, whether it be Ty Detmer or Steve Young or Tom Holmo or Trevor Maddich, all of these guys in prominent roles that played for Lavelle and worked with him and sometimes coached under him, they have all been synonymous in saying he had the ability to see a better version of myself. He could see a better mm. me compared to what I had visioned in my own mind. Wow. All of them, in some way or another, said something to that accord about Lavelle Edwards, that he just saw the best in people. He made you believe that you could do anything, you could be anything, and that it was all about love when it came down to it. He just loved them. Were either of you around in 84, the infamous year? So I was. Not uh, in, that's not infamous. I was well. three years old <laughs> in 1984. Um, my first memories of BYU football are of uh, Robbie Bob, the end of Robbie Bosco's career, and the start of the Sean Covey era, but right before Ty Detmer. Wow. But I remember Lavelle. Oh, are you kidding me? Like Lavelle, he was already an institution when I became a BYU fan. Okay, so that's Spencer. How about you, Jerem? Yeah, I was one in 84. <laughs> I was in San Diego. My parents went to the game, uh, the Holiday Bowl. But no, I, I'm, I mainly became a BYU fan through my uncles uh, who lived in Orem. I lived outside the state until uh, I was a teenager. Okay, so on your program, you're going to be honoring Lavelle Edwards. Uh, any, any Carrie Fisher or Debbie Reynolds honoring going on in your program today? No, I think we'll uh, we'll stick with the BYU figures. Hmm. I mean, Carrie Fisher. Like, well, we we've had shows. All you're not going to pop. You're not going to week as well. By the way, you're not going to bring out your lightsaber. Oh, we did that on the day Rogue One came out. Oh, 
I remember. I was I was interviewing you then too. That was a very exciting day. In fact, my favorite show we've ever done. And there and today is our 888th show. Not a joke. Whoa. Not a joke. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a big day. Okay, so what else is going on on your program today? We will discuss the following. What will be the biggest accomplishment by a BYU team or athlete in 2017? We so, want everyone to project. stand to their crystal balls of BYU sports and tell us what good things, what unpredictable things will come true. Predict what unpredictable things yes, will happen. because that's what happens in sports. <laughs> and that's what you do on your show, too. Yeah, yeah. So another thing that we've been talking about on our, on our show today is New Year's resolutions. And I want to know if either of you have any... That you've set or you're thinking about? I want to read more books. In fact, I want to read one book a month. Really? That is uh, a goal that I have because it will limit my uh, consumption of social media and technology. And I just just feel like I need to read more. Now, do audiobooks count? No. Like actual copy. Hold the book and read it. You're cutting me deep right now because I've done (laughs) about a dozen audiobooks myself. So... (laughs) Wow. Okay. She just, yeah. Jerem? I set zero resolutions. <laughs> now that in and of itself is a resolution. <laughs> I re- to set no I resolutions. To, no, I'm a pretty goal-oriented person, and I've been sick, and so no, I haven't said any. All right. We'll get on that. So maybe, maybe I'll get to that next year. Well, guys, knock them dead. Uh, you're going to have a great show, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Talk so, to you later. Shasta. My okay. name is Jeff. That's the worst impression of me I've ever heard. (laughs) Well, okay. I see how it is. Well, I guess it's a good thing Matt will be back tomorrow to talk to those guys. My New Year's resolution is to uh, do my impression of Jerem. Anyway. I've I've actually got a book that Spencer should read. It's called Calico Joe. Calico Joe? Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Why does that sound familiar? It's written by John Grisham. <gasps> okay. No, not John. Was it John? Oh, now I can't even remember. It was either so, Dan Brown or John Grisham. Is this one of these? And I think it's John Grisham. John Grisham novels that is like one of the few that has nothing to do with the courtroom? Oh, yes. This is, this is a story of a man who is a very big baseball fan and his father. Okay. And their baseball hero. Hmm. It is very cool. Uh, another one that's really cool is called Bleachers, written by John Grisham as well. Like Clorox? No, no, and... no, 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 no. No, as in the place you sit okay. for a football game. Okay. <laughs> you know, I would love – I love that resolution to read more books. I think that's – I think I, actually that is one that I would do. I would try. My problem is the only time I get – I have time to read a book is when I'm getting paid to do it. <laughs> Because I do some audiobooks. I, I so. used to take transit to work mm-hmm. instead of drive, and I got a lot of reading done. Yes. That is the one thing that I miss about my previous job as a traveling salesman mm-hmm. is that I could listen to so many audiobooks. There you, there you go. Oh, it was fun. Anyway, <laughs> read a book. Don't make a resolution, which is a resolution in and of itself. But uh, we've got one more funny Story we well interesting story we want to read to you before we get to our hero story of the day, and that is it's actually kind of a scary story. A 33 year old woman's quick instincts likely saved her life when a boat oar crashed through the driver's side windshield of her sports utility vehicle as she drove on Florida's Alligator Alley. 
Christina K. Thiessen tells the Sun Sentinel she's glad she wasn't on her phone or changing the radio station Friday afternoon as she drove home following a business trip. The Florida Highway Patrol says the ore either dropped from a recreational vehicle as Thiessen passed by or it kicked up from the asphalt. It struck the front end of her Chevy Suburban before going through the windshield. Thiessen says she quickly ducked to the right and was able to keep control of the vehicle. Wow, that was a close call. I think the craziest thing that's happened to me on the freeway, other than getting into an accident, is I ran over a ladder. I've done that. At 75 miles Mm -hmm. an hour. Me too. Which is scary, but I was shocked that my car just kept on driving normally. No, I actually hit it, but I didn't get any damage. So, oh. Good for her. She's kind of – in a way, she's also a hero of the day because she has proven how invaluable it is to be a safe, alert driver. So we want to tell you now about our hero of the day who's a mailman who saves an elderly woman on his route – Lorenzo Clark said he was delivering mail along his route in Morristown, New Jersey, when he heard a faint noise from inside a nearby home, which he knew was occupied by a 76-year-old Asunta Nobile. I had already delivered the mail, but I had this second feeling that something was wrong, and I went back upstairs, mail carrier Lorenzo Clark said. Sure enough, I heard screaming and realized it wasn't the TV. I said, hello? And she said, help. Clark realized Noble had fallen and was lying on the floor. He entered after being given permission and came to her aid, picking her up, placing her on a chair, and staying with her until her family arrived. She was sore and bruised, but she was all right. Turned out all was well. The woman's daughter said, What Lorenzo did, if he wasn't there, the outcome could have been much worse. She would have been on the floor for hours. Good for him, and he actually followed the proper protocol of saving someone's life, too, asking for their permission to do so. So, Lorenzo Clark, you are the hero of the day. And uh, if you're listening, look for ways for you to be a hero. There are ways, big and small, that you can make a change in someone's life for the better. So look for those opportunities. They are there. We will return tomorrow, hopefully with Dr. Matt. He's scheduled to be here, so as long as he's not sick... He'll be, he'll be here with his, uh, with his bells on, and uh, we'll have a great time tomorrow as well. Thanks for joining us today. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk tomorrow.